Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. You know, today I'd like to start with a quote from my favorite scientist. It's been said, you need both hands to catch the big ball of science, <laughs> but only one hand to throw it into the sky. Welcome to Brother Date, I'm Matthew. Yeah, I'm Judah. Matt is your favorite scientist, Botnik's uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, I've been. they did a Reddit QA today, and uh, I've been invested in that most of the afternoon, so that's where my head's at. Um, <clears throat> it's another one of these Star Trek ones. It sure is. It's, it's week 33. They keep sneaking up on me. I don't know how I don't see them coming, but it's, it is yet again, Star Trek time. So uh, represents 169 damn hours of Star Trek. It's too many. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's too many. Are you counting, are you saying 169 because some of those were two hours? That's correct. Yeah, look at that. You, you did the math right away. I just add four to what it should what it might should be. I'm glad you remember that. Nothing yeah. else is going to be portrayed that way, right? Like everything else, is, if it's two parts, will be separated. I believe that there are no single run two parters. What about finales I, like, um, like all good things? Oh shit! You know what? I think that one is. Let me scroll down to the bottom of Landrew. I mean, that wouldn't matter till the yeah. All good things is one episode. The distant I think times they sort of all are. Okay, so. so there may be more of those at the end. Yeah. But I think everything Ugh, in between... What a fucking will... treat that'll be, by the way. <laughs> well, at least in all good things, it's the only thing I'll have to watch for that two weeks. Sorry, that'll be an easy one. Yeah, that'll be nice. Um, Continuing with the worst to first, so... uh, But it's rare. It's rare this week, because last week the worst episode was the original series. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about it before we jump the fuck in? No, I, I think I covered everything. All right, this week we watched Mirror, Mirror. Why did they not get Nichelle Nichols to do that? Uh, it's a goddamn slap in the face, or isn't just it? change the entire theme song to the one to she always sings. Antares. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. All right, maybe season four. Or just the one where she's fucking taking a, taking a shot at Spock about his Vulcan D. That would be an, a much more appropriate theme song. Again, maybe season four. Maybe they would just kind of yeah, wait. That's what, that's what it'll be. There's definitely a season four. Hey, uh, Kirk and his away team are down. Uh, man, I guess I'll just say it. It's Uhura, Scotty, and um, McCoy. All bones, yeah. They left Spock up on board for this one. Uh, are down on a planet of devout pacifists trying to negotiate dilithium crystal mining rights. Uh, and they have to beam back up to the ship because there's a bad old magnetic storm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but there's some uh, some some trouble in the transporter, and when they do beam in, they are in different uniforms, and they're facing a goateed and armed Spock. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, they, they were worried about that storm, and that's why they beamed up. Maybe they should have considered that it might have some impact on the beaming. Yeah, no, they, uh, well, they look. Apparently didn't see that coming. Spock ordered uh, Transporter Chief Kyle to compensate for it, presumably in both universes. Yeah. Uh, but he did a bad job. Uh, so in this one, uh, Goatee Spock uh, uses his agonizer on him. Right. This is maybe... This is actually not the first hint, because before that, Spock asks if they were able to secure the mining rights, and when Kirk says no, Spock suggests standard procedure, which apparently is to wipe the planet out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Kirk and the landing party... Uh, use their shaky transport as an excuse to go to sickbay and talk about what is happening to them. And don't worry, Kirk has it solved. They're in a parallel universe, and their counterparts must be on his Enterprise. Yes. It's one of those things that he's worked out uh, kind of in the spur of the moment, but turns out to be 100% accurate. It is 100% correct. Like when there was the negative universe. That's right. Yeah. Uh, He sends Scotty to sabotage the phasers so that they don't destroy the uh, peaceful Hawkins. And he sends Uhura to figure out his orders for the day so he can play along. Right. Which is frankly the only time anyone would put that kind of... I mean, never again will anyone put that much effort into... They'll have everyone just kind uh, of play along as they go. Yeah, exactly. Um, Up on the bridge, uh, Sulu B gets a little rapey with Uhura. Mm. And down in the phaser room, Scotty doesn't have the right credentials... And frankly, the right confidence, the right self-confidence <laughs> to get in there. So he's turned away. Hey, can I maybe go in there and look at the phaser circuits? No. Oh, uh, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, I know. I might, I might could be third in command of this ship, but I guess, okay. That's good. No, you're right. You're all stand outside. I'll just, okay. Uh, so instead, Kirk has to just give orders, like crazy orders to not shoot them. Uh, so when he leaves the bridge, Chekhov seizes that uh, opportunity to mutiny against him. Mm, like immediately, and, as soon as they leave. And the like, room. It, it, yes. In fact, he leaves the bridge a little before Kirk. I think so he can wait for him in the turbo lift. Right. Um. Also, we discover that uh, everyone, all the officers on this ship, have like little parties of henchmen. Yep. And uh, but luckily, one of Chekhov's men betrays him, and uh, Kirk's own henchmen arrive. A lot of warlordism on board Enterprise. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they go and ask a computer, and the computer says that Kirk's got it just a hundo. He's just a hundred percent right, and also, he Kirk is also right that the ship's power can be used to send them back to their own universe. Um, they are going to end up on a clock, though. Uh, but will it take about five minutes, or like how long? Uh, I mean, they got they got just like a. They got just like 15 minutes or so to okay. get back there. But, it, I mean, before that, they'll be on another dumb clock that's immediately overwritten because Spock's going to get orders saying if Kirk doesn't wipe him out by dawn, he's got to do it and right. kill Kirk. But, again, that's like four hours away. And then Scotty calls up and says, listen, we got to get back, like, like definitely ASAP. Right. <clears throat> the magic door is closing. The magic door is closing, yeah. yeah. Uh... Kirk uh, learns some distressing news about his doubles past, and this is where we cut away for the one and only shot. 
of the bad landing party on the good Enterprise, which is just Spock uh, locking them up while Kirk yells at him maniacally about power. <laughs> Spock had no problem identifying that they were evil impostinators, probably because of, of a lot of ranting. And he tells him that his authority on this ship is severely limited. <laughs> which is not the way Kirk has behaved in the past, frankly. It's true. It's not an accurate description of Kirk's authority. That's right. Uh, back in this universe, Spock B is also clearly suspicious of Kirk. But he also doesn't want to be captain, so he's kind of willing to let it play out a little bit. I did like that there was at least one character who wasn't into the all-or-nothing game. Of, yes. I will be captain of this ship or I will die. Right. Because everyone else seems real into just, like, uh, rising, to, ri- keep, keep on rising to the top. Yeah, Spock's like... Look, I enjoy doing all the science. That's right. That's kind of what I'm into about this. The murder's okay, too. Like, I'm not not into the murder. Oh, I the just... murder's hella logical. Just I ask just... my Vulcan bodyguard. <laughs> right. I just don't... I don't want to... You know, I like the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, anyway, about this time, uh, Scotty and McCoy have to go uh, work on the transporter. I guess McCoy's just going to hand him wrenches and stuff. It's yeah, not clear. He doesn't have anything else to do. Uh, Kirk goes to his quarters and is confronted by the captain's woman. Yep. Uh, shit, what was her name? Mar- Marlena, Marlena Moreau. Marlena Okay. Yeah. Uh, who also wants to know what his game is, because they are they all know that something's wrong, but they're all kind of terrified of him, so that's right. I guess that's the difference. Um, she, then she does some exposition about the Tantalus field, an alien device Kirk apparently used to seize power when he murdered Captain Pike. Mm-hmm. Um, we get well, a we get weird see... amount of backstory about evil There's Kirk a lot of, and his There's a lot about what's happening there. Yeah. It, the, this, the, he found an alien scientist, mm-hmm. created the Tantalus device, and he apparently installed it secretly and uses it to do away with his enemies. Right. <clears throat> um... So before Kirk can go uh, head back to the original universe, though, he does get a little bit sad about this girl, and so he re-seduces her. That's right. Basically. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uhuru, Uhuru distracts Sulu uh, sexually so that Scotty can hack the transporter. Yeah. But then uh, Spock goes down to the transporter room and confronts Kirk and brings everybody together in sickbay so they can beat him up. And apparently hitting a hitting him in the back of the head with a skull? Yep. A very shattery one. Causes a life-threatening injury. Instantly. They all know instantly he's about to die. So even though they're on the clock, McCoy is a doctor and he's going to save Spock's life. And that's when Sulu and a bunch of his men step in and announces that he's going to somehow make it look like Kirk and Spock killed each other, and now he's the captain. Right. How do we get anything done in the Empire? He comes in and explains his convoluted plan. That's right. Um, But whoops, Marlena was watching him on the old uh, Tantalus device, and she vaporizes all of his men, but not Sulu. And then Kirk knocks Sulu out. And then they go down to the transporter room. Uh, about this time, Spock wakes up and mind melds McCoy. Yeah. I'm really worried about McCoy now. Has he got some of that evil Spock in him? 
and discovers what's going on. Yeah, did he give him his bad Katra? Yeah. Uh, uh, Marlena comes down to the transporter room, wants to go with him. Uhura takes care of her. Yeah, Uhura disarms her. And then her. Uh, Spock shows up and uh, gives Kirk two and a half minutes to tell him to change the whole goddamn empire. And uh, then tells him about the Tantalus field, which is going to give him the power to do it. And uh, they head on back, and they trade barbs with Spock A. And then Kirk uh, sees the real Marlena Moreau from the good universe. And decides. And just starts working. Yeah, decides it's time to F her. Into oblivion, probably. Yeah, he's gonna F her a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. What's this dang all episode about, Matthew? Let me just say, uh, when he said he tries to convince Spock to change the entire empire in two and a half minutes. I think Kirk also treats it the way he treats every mission, where now that he's left, he is 100% sure that's what happened. Oh, yeah. He is completely certain that that's what's going to happen. He's like, I'm satisfied, I did the right thing, and it's all got done the way I, I thought it would. Um, uh, even a... Well, I guess they're saying even a small gesture of goodwill can help to change uh, an evil world, or um, one man can change the present. Uh, it's It's mad corny. But also very Star Trek. I gave it a five. Interesting. Uh, so you your thing comes right from the very end, I guess. Right? Yeah, I mean, like he he again, he is one hundred percent convinced that he has just um, totally changed that entire empire. Yeah. By uh, being nice to some people. Yeah, that is true. So to me, this is obviously what if something cool happened. But yes. as I thought about it, what do I take? What do you take away from this episode? Mm. And I think that what this episode says is that cooperative behavior will always defeat ruthless individualism. Sure. All of the crew of the ISS Enterprise are also working against each other. Yes. And all Kirk has to do to win the day is find the least ruthless person. And then by working together with his team like that's it it's yeah. over they, they even beat spock up together as a team yes they do <laughs> yeah uhura's in there getting thrown around and everything and meanwhile on the good uss enterprise they have like just no trouble just no trouble at all defeating the uh four bad crew people yeah as we discussed it seems very unlikely that evil kirk was able to be cool for even 15 seconds he couldn't be so cool at all he, he didn't really he didn't play his best hand i think i think uh, he just went in there ranting so while i'm not certain that i think they were attempting to do a message about working together mm. that is the takeaway for me for this episode and i also thought that was worth five points okay we're on track so far uh ben agreed that it was weird shit in space i mean it kind of is and he thinks that maybe it's about mercy Right. I mean, Kirk could have said, not my universe, and uh, let just, the Hawkins get wiped out. Yeah, or just vaporized everybody. Just vaporized every goddamn person on the ship. I just tantalized the whole goddamn thing, and they're like, well, we have all the time we need to fix <laughs> yeah, the transporter no, now. No ticking clock now. Ain't my universe. Yeah. Uh, so Ben gave it a four. Yeah. Um, the execution. It's all you. The premise of this episode is very bad. And no one seems to care how such a different universe could have occurred. Yeah. Like how it could be. Like basically how it could be so different, but they all have the same jobs and identities. Yeah. This is my problem with almost everything having to do with parallel universes is that 
like even this entire reboot of however many years ago it started now with all the new Star Trek movies, where it's like, if it's a para- if we're supposed to believe in things like uh, you know the smallest change can have uh, such a, a crazy effect on everything, then like how come everyone's exactly where they used to be? All the same people working together on and doing the same jobs and everything like that. Uh, yeah. Every single thing about the political structure, the hierarchy of the Federation, the fact that it's an empire, by the way. The ship looks exactly the same inside yeah, and out. Th- yeah, exactly. The ship is it has is the same. It, it used to be captained by Captain Pike. Yeah. Uh, Kirk's whole, whole dang crew was there. The Vulcans are on board, but they're evil Vulcans, too, so I guess that's cool. Yeah, it's uh, completely moronic. It's called the Enterprise, and they're here on this mission trying to get dilithium crystals. Yeah. So I immediately started to think to myself, well, if there are infinite possible universes, mm. then as unlikely as this one seems, which, by the way, is not something that they've said exists right. in Star Trek, but I th- I think it's a possibility that that's what they're trying to do. Uh, well, then maybe they could only be beamed to a universe in which all of these people were also here. Right. And then I thought, don't do more work than the writers did. Yeah, please stop doing that. Don't do it yeah. anymore. Um, execu- otherwise, in execution, uh, all of the bad versions of the characters are a little exploitation-y and a little overwrought. Yeah. But that's true every time we see like bad or alternate behaviors from these characters, and I was actually expecting worse. It could have been worse. I mean, when we saw Evil Kirk, when he was split into two people. Yeah. Uh, he basically just made animal grunting sounds and yeah, tried, to true. Rape, tried to rape everybody who walked in the room. So That is true. I mean, they could have gone that far, I wasn't going to tell anyone. I, oh, you are the I captain, after all. I didn't want to... But, hmm. I mean, you are the, the captain. If you hadn't hurt that guy, I wouldn't have told anyone. <laughs> you, you tried to rape me? <laughs> um... So again, I actually was expecting it to be a little worse than sure. it was. Um, and I thought that the choice to only show one minute on the USS Enterprise was odd. Um, but I think that the the only thing that could maybe have been better would be showing no minutes on it and just having Spock say, oh, we knew right away. Yeah, we got we got those guys. Yeah. They were cartoonish. One of them uh, had fangs, which I thought was weird. <laughs> Right. We don't get a good look at the alternate versions of the other crew. <laughs> One looked like a werewolf or something. I wasn't into it. Yeah. Um. And, I, and But then I thought, eh, if they did that, we'd be all tell and no show. And frankly, I kind of liked the one-minute scene. I, I really liked it. I thought it was I, a I, good choice. I think choice. if it had been half and half, it would have been awful. Yeah, exactly. I thought it was a really good choice. I thought it was good because I, it would have been like funny. when fucking Lazarus kept changing his bandage and you're like, Jesus Christ, with this. <laughs> I thought it was very funny that Kirk is Kirk and crew were having such a hard time and then they cut the real Spock and real Spock's just got him in jail. And he's just like, well, I guess we're going to have to figure out what happened because uh, these aren't our guys. And then yep. they just move on and you never go back to them again. Yeah, um, so... Uh, the the bad premise really hurts here, yeah. but um, oh, once you're past that point, I thought they could have done worse. I gave it four points for execution. Okay. Um, let's see. Based on the premise that I came up with, I thought the execution was uh, done fairly well. Uh, they get st- sent to a straight-up evil-ass universe. Um, 
but, you know, a few kind words and gestures start to change everything, maybe, according to Kirk. Uh, he, turns, he certainly believes it. He, he turns this evil lady with a few patronizing words about being anything you want to be, and then his act to uh, save Spock uh, after they hit him with that exploding skull, and uh, maybe a trip into the simple mind of McCoy. Change evil Spock, and ultimately uh, the course of the Empire, probably. So it's obvious we're supposed to take that out and go, go be flower children of the 60s or whatever. Yeah. Um, sort of exactly what you'd expect from Star Trek if you hadn't done a stupid project like this and realized all of the inane no-takes that, they, that they've that they had. Um, treatment of women is still awful. Oh, yeah. Probably won't get better. Why evil Spock needed a goatee is beyond me, but... That has since become a famous thing. As if the uniforms mm-hmm. and all of the behaviors, as if we were going to be like, is that good Spock or bad Spock, though? Spock do you think it was it? because? Do you think it was because Spock was the character least changed across the two universes? Because he's still all logical and everything. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean, they gave Sulu a big old scar across his face. Yeah, but they also made him a rape monster. Which so I, I don't think was... the sc- I don't think they needed the scar. I assume that scar was rape related. That would be my guess. Chekhov could have done anything because we've only seen Chekhov twice so far, and we don't know anything about him. So whatever. So what did they just make his hair slightly shaggier? Like I, I couldn't figure out what they did with him. But... I think they just stuck him in the fucking agon. They got him out of the way in ten minutes, and then stuck him in the agonizer booth. That's true. They, they were telling us very clearly that he doesn't really matter. No, he was the first one to make his move, and he got caught. Yeah. Uh, and the evil outfits were pretty stupid. Um, I but, mean, they had, like, a bunch of little ribbons and medals on them, so you know I was into that. And a lot of gold. I didn't love Kirk's vest and sash look, though. Yeah, the gold so sash. Not, not a winner. Um, But, you know, given what the premise was, I thought they did fine. I gave it a six, actually. All right. What did Ben feel? Ben gave it a four on execution, so he's doubled up on fours. Um, He's behind both of us so far. Yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, Kirk figures it out immediately. That's pretty dumb, obviously. Overt sexism starting to get to him. Maybe because it's more aggressive? Yeah, it was extremely rapey. It was quite aggressive. I mean, the only lady in the episode who wasn't threatened with rape was the captain's woman. I mean, there's some more bad sexism coming. Don't worry about it. But, yeah. yeah. And yes, uh, <laughs> the take was executed uh, fine in that it was just answering the posed question of what if. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that is what they were yes. doing. Agreed. Mostly they wanted to tell a cool story about uh, alternate Spock or whatever, alternate, alternate crew. But, uh, yeah. So. World building? Uh, world building. I can do it. I'm on this. What have you got? What did you find? Other than the existence of parallel universes. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing. That's, sorry, the the confirmation of Kirk's theory of parallel universes. Um, What can I possibly hope to do with the world building in this episode? Like, do I have to give it marks for all the world building it does in this alternate universe? Like, it's going to come back? Because even though I, I know it comes back, I don't yeah, know if I would Yeah, but it doesn't come back. It doesn't come back until Deep Space Nine, so we don't have to think about it. Right. I definitely would not have assumed it was. This definitely feels like a one-off. No, just like we didn't see Lazarus in the negative universe again, or <laughs> right. uh, Animal Kirk. Right. Um, But here's what I got. You can feel dizzy during transport. So it's another one of those things that sort of confirms that you, there are various sensations you can have. Yeah. It makes the transporter not make sense, but that's okay. Yep. 
it never I guess does. it also it also solves the problem of am I just being killed and a duplicate of me is being created somewhere else if you have continuity of That's true. memory through it. Uh, on the old Enterprise, mobile communicators are not patched through the main circuits. Because, he, because you know, like on TNG, when they use their communicator, yep. I definitely get the feeling the computer is doing some shit there. But on this one, they seem like separate walkie-talkies. Um, yeah, he tells them sub-frequency and scramble. Yeah. So that's all, so. I, that's all I got. And only because of the confirmation of Kirk's theory of parallel universes, I gave it a four. Um, well, I gave it a four, too. So we're we're in place there. Let me talk about a couple other things. Ion storms. Uh, Kirk's got that space margarita machine in his quarters. Yep. That's like early replicator. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, I felt the only way to explain the similarities between the un- the two universes with such different federations is that one really is the good universe and one is the bad universe. Like that's the only. That'd have to be the scientific explanation for what was happening there. Boy, that's that sounds like rough And science. I said that was a profound statement, but I don't think it's a good one. Right. Uh, yeah, like I said, I gave it a four, but th- the whole episode takes place somewhere else, so yep, <laughs> not a lot of world building done there. And I don't, I don't think Ben really pulled anything else out otherwise, the agonizers, etc. But like none of that exists. Yeah. So he. Uh, suggested that the fact that there seemed to be a lot more crew on the mirror enterprise uh, suggests that normal enterprise is not is like less a... militarized. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. Which I suppose is interesting, but four hundred people is already kind of a lot of people. I guess enterprise is pretty big. It's like as long as an aircraft carrier. I don't know. I've only ever really seen the tumbling room. So yeah, it's I true. I well, a lot tell. of people were tumbling that day. Yep. Um characterization all right this is also tough because kirk mccoy uhura and scotty are the only real characters in most of this episode yeah you get a little bit of real spock in the end and when he's jailing them and that's it i mean spock gets a couple of looks in honestly though very few of these episodes have focused on more than four characters anyway right uh scotty is a bit of a bumbler as usual like, I think it's very in character with what we've seen of him so far that he can't bluff his way past that security guard and he almost gives the game away in the initial beam in by being like, what's up with these uniforms or whatever? <laughs> you don't look like the uh, you normally do. I think you're different. Spock's got a beard. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pirate there. I'm not, I don't do accents. <laughs> ah, Spock's beard's a giveaway. Uh, I mean, Uhura handles Sulu reasonably well, mm. but she also comes off as a little unprepared for um wacky space adventures it's probably because she doesn't mostly get to leave the bridge yeah she's usually stuck memory alpha did uh tell me that this is the only episode in which she's seen in a moving turbo lift (laughs) why would a woman ever need to get in a moving turbo lift that's right um i thought kirk and mccoy play fairly well frankly this is basically on for all of these characters like there's nothing that's really wild here i gave it a six for characterization um it's not doing anything particularly impressive but everyone is this is basically they they know who they're playing at this point yeah i'm very close i gave it a five um which for me is usually like straight down the line nobody did anything super interesting or evolved in any way but also they didn't do anything crazy um kirk in this opening scene where he's negotiating with the the aliens thinks his restraint in not shooting them is very impressive or at least that they think it is or they should think it is He's so pleased with himself that he's not going to murder them. Yeah. <laughs> and this is he good. He really Kirk. does. They're like, um, 
these old boys are like, mm, Captain, you do have the power to just take this from us. And he like gives them a big because smile. I think they're done talking to him. Right. Yeah. They're like, whatever he's going to do, I just don't want to have another one of these meetings. And he's like, but we won't and consider he's, that. And he's like, he gives them a real shattery smile. Then a fucking shooting star goes by in the more you know place. <laughs> right. You're like, oh boy, he really thought that was amazing. Uh, Kirk is fine play acting as a despot because he already kind of acts that way on the real Enterprise. Um, he has moments for sure. But when I saw that lady, I was like, oh no. Kirk can definitely be definitely be swayed by like a sexy science succubus. Uh huh. That's his type. Yeah. Uh, so the a crew, scientist he met at a party. The crew might be in trouble. Uh, and of course, the last bit with the real Marlena Moreau um, was not great. Can we? Can no, you what? maybe not just hit on her and tell everyone that you're like basically communicate to everybody real clearly that you're going to bang her like right then on the. Then as the shit pans out, he fucking walks right over to her. Yeah. To keep it going. It's, it's it's gross. Um, instead of the comic mischief Star Trek characters sometimes get into, Scotty has no crazy plan to mess with the phasers. He just politely asks the security guy to move. Yep. And when he refuses, like he just calls him up like a fucking beaten dog on the phone <laughs> and says, "No damage to the phaser." <laughs> yeah. Like Lushun, when his spy is caught, he just gives up the plan and hopes for a better opportunity later on. Yeah, which is sort of realistic, I guess. He didn't like go on a crazy commando mission or anything. If this was, if this was Enterprise, there would have been a commando raid. Uh, yeah. It would you say there was a commando raid in the Enterprise we watched this week? Only Just because there is every week. Just um, asking. It's a pretty. That's not really a spoiler. Not giving nothing away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Spock must have figured out Evil Kirk and crew right quick because, um, probably because they seem Shatner crazed. Yeah. Um, which is out of character for Sulu. Um, for uh, Scotty, rather. Scotty right. and Uhura shouldn't be that way. McCoy, you know he has a his doubts bit. about McCoy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but as soon as he saw uh, Uhura going crazy, he's like, oh, okay, I get it. He probably also had that theory about evil universes. So he probably Yeah, it's, he's been thinking about it ever since they met Lazarus, for sure. Yeah. If there's uh, a negative universe in that sense, what if there's a negative one in another sense? Like, morally negative. That's right. Uh, let's see, uh, Uhura's pretty brave. Just straight getting into a raper scheme on the bridge. And, uh, like, just going up to Sulu and being like, hey, remember when you tried to rape me earlier? Maybe maybe we can try it now. And then she helps fight dudes in sick bay. Oh, but don't worry, she does some real dumb uh, gender study stuff, too, about how you're not supposed to give up. It's supposed to be a chase, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Definitely keep, keep being rapey, is what she's saying to him. Yeah, and then she... Um helps fight the dudes in sick bay and disarms the lady in the transporter room. So, you know, a lot of Uhura in this one, getting some action done. Um, so I, I thought it was a five. That was fine. Did you have a sum of quickies? Uh, let's see. It's TOS, so probably. Uh, interesting to see us jump in mid-mission. And then obviously the rest of the episode is why. Because the, that's not the real mission. But like just to jump in as he's concluding his business with those folks. At this point in the recording, Judah goes silent. Uh, bonus points to people who can figure out why. Why do these dudes have to carry their own agonizers? I would think that would lead to a rash of, whoops, I dropped my agonizer down the turboshaft again. Are you suggesting that they would lie about it? No, I'm just saying, like, you know... Uh, if they, uh, 
if they get to carry their own agonizers, it'd be pretty easy to just do a whoopsie. But <clears throat> um, alternate Sulu is a real raper. Obviously, we've talked about it. The scar gives it away. Uh, oiling my traps is an absolutely disgusting euphemism. That's the worst thing I've ever heard said out loud. <laughs> she walks into the room, she's like, I was oiling my traps. It's like, ooh! Uh, let's see, uh, oh, the 60s, where talking down to a woman, even an evil one, made her crazy horny. Uh, let's see, stuntman fight, Some a lot of good stuntman shots. And, uh, oh wow, just like Worf, Kirk has to bang this chick now that he's had her in a parallel universe. Don't give that away. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna spend so much. T- you know what? That's gonna be 15 years from now. I'm gonna spend so much time talking about that <laughs> because it is as if the idea never occurred to him. Yep. And now he must. When I was watching either the last time or the time before, that really hit me in that episode where I was like, "Oh wait, so now he wants to do her because he did her in the parallel universe." Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's what Kirk was like in this one. That's all the uh, the quick hitters I had. I um. I said, uh, looks like we're going to have Clever Kirk here, who immediately senses he needs to play along. Mm-hmm. Spock, Vulcan, Bodyguard. Uh, there were a couple of instances in this episode where it seemed like money is a bigger factor here in the Mirror Universe. Like, you never hear them talk about money, even in TOS. But, like, someone was like... Or, or uh, Bad Kirk was like, do you want credits? I can get you credits. Right. And then uh, I think uh, Spock B said that their missions had been successful and profitable. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, uh, that's kind of interesting. This is an even worse bridge to be stationed on than the real one. At least Uhura just sings on the real bridge. You don't have Sulu just trying to write people up there? Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, just as bad. Uhura's bad seduction of Sulu. Yeah, if you're one of the um, one of the nobodies on the bridge, it, yeah, that's a that's a shit yeah, assignment. Were, there were like ten guys just sitting there. There was a black guy in one of the jumpsuits, so I guess I don't know if that means he's enlisted. I haven't really figured that out. But in a red jumpsuit, sitting there, and he had a look on his face the whole time. Well, while, and I would have had a look on my face the whole time too. While like, Sulu what are we doing? And Uhura are doing their thing. You can see in the background three or four red shirts just standing by the turbo lift door, just kind of watching. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I think there's going to be a rape again. How is it possible, Matt, that we hit a new low for stunt doubles every single week? I don't understand. I mean, the stunt double stuff in this one was pretty wild. <laughs> uh, like they shot it from far away at a high angle yeah. because Spock's stunt double looked nothing like Leonard Nimoy. Yep. Like, he was—he looked like he's probably seven inches shorter, uh-huh. uh, very slender, and his skin color, totally different. Well, it's because, you know, they don't really bother on their... We've talked about it a million times yeah, on their tiny TV. little TVs. I know. Yeah, they yeah, knew yeah, we yeah. wouldn't know, but, like... They didn't know this. I mean, one, they didn't know that you would have the technology to look at it that closely, and two, they didn't know that anyone like us would exist. You know how someone will say, well, nobody will know if we do X, and then the other person will say... I'll know. Right. Yeah, no one That's ever said not that. how this show was made. <laughs> no one ever said that on TOS. I thought I must have missed the scene about the Hulkin prediction of galactic revolt. Hmm. That Kirk brings up. Like, when Kirk is going to do his speech, he says, how long until the Hulkin prediction of galactic revolt comes true? And Spock's like, 240 years. Which is wild anyway. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, 
prediction of Galactic Revolt. Turns out that's a continuity error. I was going to say, I don't remember that either. Yeah. It just was not. It was not in the episode at all. It doesn't make any sense. But apparently, it's something that the Hawkins say to Kirk in another version of the script or something about, uh, yes, they'll all be killed, but what if one day all of the Federation's slave planets also stand up to them, etc. It would have been great if they had done the calculation of 240 years. It would have Strike been me down, and in it. 240 years, you'll pay. <laughs> Return in four centuries or whatever. <laughs> I think he said three centuries. Three centuries. What you know as centuries. Like, um, um, that's very specific, little guy. Uh, ben didn't have any quick hitters, just that this is more boring than he remembered. Uh, and he had given though, it a three on characterization. Even though uh, he thinks that finding it boring has to do with uh, having to do this rubric. Which, by the way, you don't have to do. You could send us unorganized notes. Yeah, your scores don't really matter anyway. So <laughs> you could, I mean, you could just tell us which one. You could just send us which one is the best one of the week, since we use it as a tiebreaker. If you don't, yeah. if you don't want to have to follow this structured rubric, you don't have to. Yeah. We're going to keep doing it because of all of the data. It's too late now. Now we're a slave to Landrew. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Landrew, Landrew has spoken. Yeah. Um, I gave best actor in this one to Mirror Spock. Okay. And I gave uh, worst actor to the captain's woman. Yeah, you weren't a fan of uh, the performance of Marlene yeah. Morrow oiling her traps. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. All right. Well, that's fair. That seems fair. Um. So I'll just make sure I have all of those scores entered. Okay. Uh, we'll check in at the end to see how it did, but I think if you were listening, it got a fair number of points, despite the fact that it's kind of not a great episode. Yeah. Um, um, I think that's one where I gave more points than I thought it was a, I don't think it was a good episode by any means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this week, uh, so I'm sorry, next in the order is Enterprise. Okay. This week we watched The Communicator. Matt, I fucking accidentally called it last week when I said, what if it's about a communicator that got left behind? I was so upset. You and I had the same reaction. We watched the uh, opening teaser, and at the moment it becomes clear that Reed is missing his communicator, I definitely went, oh, oh, come on. Oh, come on. Yeah, I mean, look, it saves us from having to watch a decon scene where they're all in their underpants, because you have to have the part where they're taking out all their equipment. Yeah. But, uh rough so um, all right yeah i'll get into it what did happen Uh, after returning from an exploratory away mission to a pre-warp society on the brink of war reed is unable to locate his communicator if you can fucking believe they named the episode that a search of the shuttle bay proves fruitless so archer and reed return to the planet to try to find it uh so as not to leave a contaminant within the culture unfortunately they managed to walk into a trap set by the local military because obviously it was a trap just like there's a bunch of military dudes in the room, and then they're like they all let them just walk into the side room of this bar. Yep, and no one tries to stop them. Like he should have been like, "Hey, I come no one's asking us where we're going." They go together too. Like it's, it's well, we just go to the he, bathroom together. Yeah, if Archer had just sat there with his uh, malt or whatever, and Reed had uh, had just gone to the guy and said, "Where's the pisser?" It would have been no problems. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the local military already has the communicator, and they've captured them. And they got all their sweet gear. 
as well. Phase pistol, all that good stuff. Um, desperate to locate the away team, T-Pole um, tries to contact them on the communicator, and, uh, well, that's dumb, because the military guy is holding it. So, now he knows there's a T-Pole out there somewhere. Anyway, they start interrogating him, and after uh, some beating, it's discovered that not only are Archer and Reed's uh, foreheads crazy fake, but they also have red blood! Uh, And they find out vastly vastly different internal organs. Um, In response, Archer and Reed improvise a story about being genetically altered prototypes with uh, matching prototype equipment from the opposing faction uh, known as the Alliance, because sci-fi writers are... fucking hacks everyone wanted to go home i know well, i don't blame them i want i mean nah, the alliance i think that the writers in this show treated it like uh Beltran treated his role on voyager yeah just a paycheck um while allaying suspicion that they are aliens the military commander decides to hang archer and reed um and then do some autopsies to discover more about their enhancements meanwhile on enterprise a rescue mission is what a surprise is planned by commander tucker using the captured Sulabon cell ship uh, from... By the way, this is how I know you're reading Wikipedia, because you would never call him Commander Tucker. Thank you. Well, I'm trying to, but it's written so bad I have to keep improvising. Um, But problems arise with its cloak, uh, namely that it, it, like, kind of goes weird and cloaks cloaks trip. Cloaks his arm. Which is, uh, I guess, the comic That's the no-payoff B-plot. Yeah. Uh, in their cell, Archer and Reed contemplate the irony of their adherence to an early version of the Prime Directive. As they are about to be hanged, the cloaked Sulabon ship with T-Pole, Tucker, and Mayweather arrives, enabling Archer and Reed to escape with their shuttle pod and captured technology. Uh, after a fucking insanely long gunfight. I couldn't yeah, believe how long worry, that scene nobody kept gets going. shot. It's just wild how long that was. Uh, later, back on Enterprise, Archer reflects on the consequences of their actions. If only, <laughs> if only he would really do that. Even in the absence of, uh, uh... <sighs> well, look, they didn't leave any stuff behind. But now the people are fearful of the Alliance, yeah, because they think they've got super soldiers and fucking cloaked ships and phasers. I just, I didn't even want to get to the end because it doesn't matter. Because next week he'll do some other dumbass thing. And it'll yeah. just piss everybody off in this part of the galaxy or whatever. Yeah, he uh, he may have made things worse on that planet. What a surprise. When does he not? What was this about? Something, something, principle, something, something, sacrifice. All right, I like it. I mean, this is what it's about, right? What, what are these old boys going to do? Are they going to stick to this dumb principle that they've never followed before of non-interference? Or are they going to tell them the truth? I have almost and, all... I have the fill-in words. I have the same thing with the filler words. Yeah. So, th- this is this is what it's about, right? And Ben's got the same thing. He says, you need to be committed to your ideals when the stakes are high, otherwise they aren't worth anything, right? right. That's that's what this is, right? You have to stick by your principles, uh, even when it's inconvenient, or else they're not principles, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, or I had, like, um, uh, being a... You know, it means possibly sacrificing your life even for abstract ideals. Yeah, so uh, it's a two. Ouch. It's not. (sighs) The problem is this is not what Picard would have done in this situation. We know this from justice. 
Yeah. We know this from Who Watches the Watchers. Right? Yeah. The the principle of non-interference isn't like a weird dogmatic absolute and you just have to let people die for it. Right. Well, we see it in First Contact, the episode, where he speeds up First Contact when things start to go bonkers. Right. He doesn't then pretend that Riker is from some other. <laughs> We're just, uh... We're, it's genetic experimentation from your arch enemy. He's just like, hey, you, you done caught us. So the problem is dogmatic adherence to a principle is not Star Trek for me. Also, this is not a science fiction take. This right. is not a sci-fi story, right? Okay. You you could there you could do this you could do a version of this story because the specific principle at heart doesn't matter. Yeah. So you could do a version of this story in a contemporary setting. Um. You know what, though? It is worth three points. I shouldn't have said two. Yep. I gave it a five. Um, And what I had was, it's fine. It's what a lot of Star Trek episodes are about. And I think it is true that it doesn't have to be sci-fi, right? You don't need sci-fi for this take. But that doesn't change the fact that they do it a lot. Every episode that's about the Prime Directive is about this. And we know there are a lot of them. Where it's like, how, how hard do you cling to your principles? Or whatever. Okay, but like, how much better is the Prime Directive episode Symbiosis? Oh no, no, I'm. Uh, we will get into execution and other things. Okay, <laughs> this is not a good episode at all. I'm saying in terms of what the take is, I feel like Star Trek does this take a lot, and that's the only reason it didn't really get more points because it's it's like now it's pretty straight down the line Star Trek. It's like yeah, I get it, I get it, guys. The Prime Directive or something like it. Uh, well, Ben has it at a four. Okay. Uh, where are but again, this is not about the Prime Directive. No, it's not. It's about uh, adhering to your principles. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, how did you feel it did execution-wise? This episode would have been a lot more... It would have seemed a lot more thoughtful if they'd actually delved into what T-Pole and Archer talk about in the end. Uh, how you don't need fancy technology to contaminate a culture, and how these dudes think their enemies have these crazy technologies, and it'll probably make them even more aggressive and paranoid. Like if the f- first ten minutes had been this whole episode. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the episode was dealing with the consequences of it. But we never really deal with the consequences of anything Archer does. Or if they'd had some discussion about whether it was wiser to leave the communicator there, where it will be a weird curiosity. Yeah, something. Or Instead with technology of... that either they, if they're able to reverse engineer it, then they understand it pretty well already and it's not mind-blowing, or it'll just be something that the battery dies and it sits on a shelf. Yeah, that's right. Somewhere, you know I mean? somewhere secret. Yeah. Versus the risk of contaminating them. I just feel like if they had gotten into it, then you could have been like, "Oh, this is a really good case for things like for non-interference, and you know, for the Prime Directive and, and other things like that." Um, but that's not what it's about. It's nominally about dying for a principle. This time to avoid revealing they're from space, but it's not like uh, that's a worse outcome than what really happened. You know what I mean? Like they say in the end. What yeah. happened was just as bad as if they'd found out there were aliens or whatever. So it yeah. seems like it wasn't well thought out. And uh, again, standard super long Enterprise Commando Climax. Which is just... One, it must cost a lot of money. And no one wants it. So like, what are they doing? Why are they That's spending a very their, good question. They're spending their whole budget on these very long fighting scenes that nobody cares about. Yeah, they... Uh, somebody built that gallows set. Yeah. <laughs> For that shootout. Then they had him hide behind green screens to lean out of it and shoot. 
Yeah, and they had like uh, bullet holes flying around everywhere because those guys mm-hmm. just had standard assault yeah. rifles. They had squibs and, and all kinds of shit. That, yeah. that stuff's not cheap. Yep. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, So you took all the money you got in your budget and you just fucking blew it. You could have just made 25 bottle episodes that were 100 times better. I have liked all of the bottle episodes. They're better, the best frankly. Enterprise episodes because they actually have to sit there and think about what the characters should say. And, like, how they should react to things, instead of then being like, third act, easy, commando raid. Uh, Anyway, I gave it a three in execution. Uh, So, the big execution problem this week is a character problem. Okay. Where is this suddenly coming from with Archer? He is Space's main cowboy asshole. Everyone knows him that way. And now he's going to go down to death rather than contaminate a culture? Remember when he decided, uh, with help from Flocks, that a whole race of people was doomed to die out, so... Why bother? Why bother? Yeah. Why Why do they expect us to suddenly believe this shift in tone? Maybe it's because of all the sex dreams he has about T-Pole. And then T-Pole's always telling him not to interfere. Um, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's like... Like everything that Archer does on the surface makes makes sense. Like all of his moves are good are good moves or reasonable moves, if you can believe that's his position. Yeah. But it's the part where any of this is important to him that doesn't work, and it makes the episode not work. Yeah. Oh, I mean it's one of the many things that makes the episode not work, yes. Uh so I gave it three points also. Okay. Uh and just to catch up, Ben Again, gave it a four on the take and a one on execution. Yeah. Um, in in terms of world building, oh, I'm sorry. Did you? Have, did well, you say I was going to see if he, you wanted to mention if he had anything. Um... <sighs> no, I didn't. I can't find anything in there. It's a one. They didn't show us the quarantine procedure this time. <laughs> well, that is bad execution. No, I think he thinks that's okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but everything else is like whatever. Yeah. Uh, I found world building was particularly weak in this episode. Okay. I don't think they attempt it, frankly. The only thing that's interesting is the weird lingering cloak effect on Trip's hand, and that doesn't matter. Yeah. Everything else is just about this specific society. I agree. I give it one point for world building. Okay. We'll it see didn't if... get. It didn't rate the standard three to me. No, well, I agree. I gave it a two, but I don't know. We'll see if I really feel it's a one. Uh, more of that uh, really advanced cosmetic stuff from Dr. Flox. Again, he is, some, for some reason, an expert at that. They've already done it many times. Uh, these aliens must have blood that's not red because they're so surprised about their red blood. Um, like you said, the way the Suliban cloak works, it seems like it's an effect that is shot onto something rather than... A you powered have, than, field? Yeah, having to if be... If you lose power, it goes away? Yeah, rather than having to like be within the cloaking field in order to be cloaked. Uh, these aliens seem to have basically the same level and types of technology as later 20th century Earthers, for no good reason. Yep. Uh, yeah, I give it a two. I feel fine. I feel two is fine. I mean, two is not a good score. Yeah. How did you feel about the characterization here? Uh, as we say every week, Enterprise's strong point. Reed gets so excited about tactical situations on pre-warp planets that he asks to write the reports to Starfleet. That's right. That's what gets him going. Reports. Uh, that and pineapple. 
That's right. Trip still doesn't get to go down to the planet, and I applaud that decision, because he's a real Riker when he interacts with aliens. Uh, he's also super bummed out about his cloaked arm for some yeah. reason. He really put, it brings him down, and I can't figure out exactly why. Yeah, if me either, I would think it would be kind of cool, frankly. Well, it's like, you know, maybe he doesn't know in-universe, but we all know that ain't going to last. It's not like for the rest of the season he'll have a cloaked arm. That would be weird That's continuity. That's true. That would be rough. That'd be rough on the budget. Yeah. Well, they should have him wear a glove every time. I would just have him wear <laughs> They'd a have fucking... wear a glove for nine episodes. Put, okay, put on this nitrile glove. And every week someone could ask him about his arm. Well, frankly, though, that's what you would do. Yeah. Is you would just wear a glove. Unless you were trying to be tricky in some way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You definitely would steal food off of people's plates and stuff, but... Oh, well, that's not all you would do, because Mayweather thinks that you would be pervy in the movie theater. I mean, in case you want to steal some popcorn. Yeah. Good save, Mayweather. Yeah. Um, Archer is... Because what matters is whether or not your date can see your hand. Yeah. Not whether she feels you touching her. It was... It was not nice to hear that come from that nice boy's mouth. Yeah. He's got a lot of growing up to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Archer is not much of an actor when he pretends to be an enemy spy. It's almost like he doesn't want them to believe him. Yeah, it would be great if they... Be, be better if they were more conflicted by what to do. Then I thought, maybe Bakula is such a bad actor because he doesn't want <laughs> us to believe him. What have I stumbled into here? What does this I mean? I think you're right. Uh, there's not a lot here. I gave it a three. Uh, so, the again, Archer is a whole different dude Yeah. in this episode. Uh, everyone else is fine, basically. Everyone else is what you expect. Um, Hoshi might be a little better than normal. Mayweather might be a little worse. T'Pol's not really in it. Right. Um, I don't like Reed. He hasn't given me any reason to like him. No. Uh, I gave it a two. And it's like, uh, who is this archer? Okay, that's fair. Uh, and one's on the back end from, uh, from Ben. So he gave it... Four one one one, yeah, yeah. He did not. Uh, like just, just a few quick hitters. I never have as many for Enterprise, but um, I'm not sure if I'm happy or sad that they skipped the sexy decontamination scene. I mean, mostly happy, but it kind of breaks continuity. Like they're done with their decontamination scene, but they're still in the old clothes. Yeah, why would they bother? Yeah, it's like it doesn't make. I would definitely, it just doesn't make sense. Is the problem with it? Like, I definitely strip it's off bad my clothes. that that's how decontamination works. But I definitely strip off my fake alien clothes and my fake forehead and put those in a bin. Yeah, like you would think that goop could get in the seam between your fake forehead, like between your appliance and your actual head. If you were decontaminating, you'd have to take that off. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. I don't mind not seeing them rub gel on each other, yeah, right. but like that's how we've—that's what decontamination is. So, yeah, or even why if, are we not doing it this time? Even if we just got the implied de- decant, decontam- de- yeah. decontamination, where they just walk out and they're in their regular uniforms or whatever. Why do cultures without surveillance systems always put prisoners together in cells to plan? This is a good question. My other question was, why do they then blab out all their orders in front of them? What, yes. what purpose does it serve to tell them to where put your man over here and contact the general and tell him this 
And it's like, yeah, those guys are right there. Yeah, exactly. The people you think are spies. That's right. You're just, you're really, you're not doing this right. I now predict, so this is in real time, this invisible hand will not be plot meaningful. Hey, I was correct. Yep, you got that one it right. It did not, it didn't come up. It was just so that you could see Trip all angry. I guess they feel like that's his most winning personality point. Why do they have a Suleban cell ship on board? I think they stole it in the pilot. And they just keep it? And they I didn't guess, take it to Earth? I was going to say, they never sent it back to be studied or anything. <laughs> they just keep it there. It's theirs now. That's how it works. It's uh, salvage law. And so that they can invent the force field again? <laughs> yes. Uh, hey, cool. These guys are getting attacked by Don Carnage's seaplane pirates or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Odd choice of CGI model for those planes. Uh, no one can shoot. Must be because iron is a toxic element. What must it have been like as a set designer to build a gallows with trap doors and everything? I wonder if they. Do you think at some point you were like, "Man, what am I doing?" Sometimes I think about like um, somebody was talking about the show Westworld, and they brought up all the uh, like gun uh, gunshot wounds in someone's naked body, and I thought to myself, "Hey, do they have like a specialist who comes in and does the wound makeup on naked people? Did you put that on your resume?" Like, I'm you. I'm the best naked wound wound guy in the business. I mean, there must be because the, they got to do it for CSI and everything, right? Got to do so it for like, all kinds of shows where you got you got to put them on on their naked bits and stuff. Yeah, and I just figure you probably want someone who had experienced that because you, you know they need to be discreet and. Um, oh not, yeah, it's got to be the, the HR side of it's got to be weird. Yeah, so you, they must have a specialist for that. I wonder if there's a gallows specialist. Yeah, I build gallows on every set. I built gallows on uh, uh, what was the, what was the name of that uh, that old western show on HBO? Fucking De- Deadwood. Deadwood. Yeah, I built the gallows on Deadwood for four years or something. Yeah, there's probably not a lot of call for it. Yeah. Um, ben, quick hitters. He thinks uh, he thinks Tri- he thinks Trip's going to use his uh, secret arm to uh, befoul the captain's mess. But his jizz isn't going to be invisible. Well, I don't know. That's I don't know what, what the cloak is. Maybe he got his wang, too. Oh, uh, yeah. He thought the alien aircraft looked pretty high-tech. I'm not sure I agreed with that. I <laughs> thought they looked like a Narn fighter, maybe, or something. But they did appear to have... They had obvious engines and wing surfaces. All right. Uh, what do you have for quick hitters? Mm, okay, yeah, so it's obviously really, literally about a communicator that goes missing. <sighs> Even That's still the, a bummer uh, to me. Even the alien barkeep is kind of a pervo. I, that, by the way, that guy's somebody, right? Uh huh. To me, he reminded me of um, I think a guy who played a kind of a pervo on Babylon Five too. Oh, because I thought he might be Josh Albert's dad. I didn't look it up though. Oh wait. Uh. That's real quick. All right, Joshua Albert. <laughs> If that's someone's real name, the first thing that comes up is uh, Memory Alpha anyway. Well, I think it knows who you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what is his dad's name? Fucking. Come on, cast. The um, Even Memory Alpha, by the way, hates Enterprise. 
Uh, what do you mean? Dennis Cockrum as Alien Barkeep. Let's see. Yeah, it'll tell you if he's played other Star Treks. Yeah, it will. Uh, well, mm, mm, that's not one of them. He was the Corval and freighter captain in face of the enemy. Huh. I was wrong, but I think he looks like that guy. Mm. Oh, well. All right. But it didn't go well, anywhere. Who, who played Who played Josh Albert's dad? Well, that's what I'm trying to find out. I don't see his name in here on the cast list. Sorry, everybody. I see someone who just plays parent, but I'm pretty sure the guy had a name. Yeah, Lieutenant Commander Albert. Oh. No, different guy. All right. It's real similar looking, though. Well, I didn't bother to look that guy up. Um, no. Hold on. First, let me send you that link. Oh, yeah, look at that guy. Oof. And then... Uh... This guy. <laughs> this is great for the pod... The pod... The podcasters. Uh... Similar looking, right? Oh, yeah. No, I see it. Yeah. But then oh, well. he, the other guy was already older. Should have done the research. Then That's I would have known I was wrong. That's fine. All right. Where were we? You're right, um, though. He's a little bit of a pervo. Yeah, he does pervo. ask about Hoshi. Yeah, he's like, this is pretty hot. And it's like, all right, dude. Hey, I know getting the Psy back, I mean, getting the communicator back, is a priority, <laughs> but, like, why don't they play it a bit safer? Like, stay outside the tavern and keep using your scanner until the place, like, empties out a bit, and then go in Break and Break in at them. night, yeah. Like, why just... And I guess when they saw a bunch of military guys leave in a hurry, they would have figured it out, but... Yeah, like, why just walk in and then casually go into a back room that you may not have had any explanation for being in? That's right. I definitely always walk into all of the areas of a bar or restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I just walk around. I just explore a little bit and see what's going on. I'm always, when I go to Chili's, I'm always in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I'm allowed to go in there. Manager's office, all that. Yeah, I look at the books. Uh, I learned it from Skyrim. I always go look at the books. Um, And why go in armed at all? Aren't you, are you planning on shooting people? And then if you're not, aren't you just then risking more contamination? It does seem like they shouldn't have taken all that shit. Yeah, maybe be a little bit smart about it is all I'm saying. Um, again, why does this guy give out all of his orders right in front of the prisoners? Uh, the actor playing this general has the surname Guinan. Oh, that's fun. You looked up the actor who played the general? I saw it in the uh, guest stars when it's like right after the credits. It's oh, like okay. guest starring and then the dude's name was something Guinan. And I went, wait a minute. Um, uh, well, Guinan was named after somebody that Gene Roddenberry knew. Well, I guess that's a something. real name. He liked to do that. Name aliens after uh, real people? Yeah, or like Khan Noonien Singh and Noonien Soong are both named after a guy he knew. <laughs> But why are they both? Why yeah, are they it both named so much? After he him? did it twice. <laughs> um, we talked about it a little bit. Alien factions always refer to each other as the Alliance, the Empire, the Syndicate, the Dominion, the Republic, etc. Rarely do they have like a more specific, proper name, like I don't know, like Japan or Israel. Yeah, what are the names of the Sulaban guys? What are they called? The um. Boy, Enterprise is not my strong suit. The uh, I almost had it. It was on the tip of my tongue. <sighs> the Cabal or something? Yeah, it's something like that. The yeah. Cabal. And it's like, how come no one ever has any kind of... They're never from anywhere. There's no proper, real proper name. It's always some kind of vague description is what they call each other. Uh, because they're hacks. 
again, is what we talked about. It's hacks, yeah. Uh, especially the one-off aliens. You know, if you get the Klingon Empire, obviously, they have a name, Romulan, stuff like that. But all these one-offs are just generic. Uh, that's all I had. I gave uh, Best Actor to Hoshi, maybe? And Worst Actor to 1.5 Entendre Mayweather. <laughs> he he didn't. He didn't quite land his movie theater joke. No. No, he said something really pervy, and Triff looked at him like, that's kind of gross. And then he's like, I'm talking about popcorn. It's like, oof. Yuck. First, in case you want to steal some popcorn. I mean, do we pay for popcorn on Enterprise Movie Night? Yeah, why well, you gotta steal it? Can you just ask yeah. for more? What, chef can't make popcorn? I'm gonna go get more popcorn. Um, Next in the order. Uh, yeah, okay. Because uh, we're I, only I 40% it, of the way through this thing. After that one, I waddle it to end. Next in the order is Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Whispers. Because I am a sinner, we start this episode <laughs> in Meteorez. <laughs> yep. On board a fleeing runabout where O'Brien starts narrative starts up the framing device, mm. his personal log describing the events of the last fifty two hours in case he's killed by whoever is after him. You'll whoever find out are. Flashback to uh his return to Deep Space Nine. He has been in the Parada system doing uh basic training on the security requirements for the upcoming peace conference which doesn't make a ton of sense Hmm. but i guess he's been looking at all their security protocols okay uh he gets back molly's acting weird keiko's acting weird cisco's acting weird and worst of all everyone's getting up early (laughs) yeah that's right what's the deal with that it's suspicious uh Back to the runabout. He's being pursued. Who's chasing him? Another runabout. That makes sense to him. Back to the past. Bashir has to do a report on the health of the senior staff, and O'Brien's been putting off his physical. So he gets shitty about it. Yeah, uh, like he gives that. Cisco a little report about the Paradas, who don't smell real good sometimes. Right. And also they've been in a civil war for 12 years, and they're pretty paranoid. Okay. Um... Then he gets ordered to go do that physical. He gets very grumpy at the physical. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it even one bit. He has a little conversation with Jake, and it turns out that Cisco has been lying to him about why he's been talking to Keiko. Yeah. Uh, Also, he starts to suspect that he's being distracted from the actual security preparations uh, by some deliberate sabotage of the docking ring. And it seems to be confirmed because uh, this his subordinate ensign that I've never seen before De lies Curtis. to him about De Curtis lies to him about security arrangements at the Parada quarters. Mm-hmm. By the way, best liar in the show. Yeah, definitely. He's by far the most convincing. He's like, I don't know, Chief. I just do what Cisco tells me to do. What the fuck do you want? Yeah. <laughs> Keiko doesn't want to do it, and she makes him stew. And both of those are somehow very suspicious. The stew is, in particular, just based on how close the shots were on their faces, very yeah, suspicious. Yeah, by the way, he this whole time, you'll occasionally get little narrations from O'Brien, film noir style. Mm. If when she said she wasn't in the mood, he said, that checked out at least. 
I would have flipped on this episode like you would not believe. (laughs) Extra points. No, it's not that self-aware, unfortunately. Uh, But no, instead, the conclusion that he comes to is Keiko's been replaced by some kind of replicoid. Oh, word I made up. (laughs) That's okay, it fits. Uh, After she goes to bed, he starts going over station logs, but he finds that he's locked out of all of the ones since he returned. He starts going over station logs loudly in the other room. That's right. For hours, it appears. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he's locked out of some of them. Eventually, he bypasses all of the traps in the code. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Someone had heard about internet. Yeah, and he discovers that, peop- that people are analyzing all of his files regarding the Parada visit. Actually, real quick, hold, take your, hold your place, so I don't want you to lose your place in your, in your description, but did they ever mention deep code in this episode? Uh, it's important to, to know whether they did or not, because... I don't remember deep code, and I didn't write it, it down. It came up many times a few episodes ago. All right, go on. Now Odo returns from Bajor. Okay. And he appears to be sympathetic. It does indeed sound suspicious to him. Uh, O'Brien catches him right at the runabout. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later, though, when he calls him to his office to ask about the Parad and Rebels, uh, it seems like Odo is on their side. And so O'Brien throws down a little stun grenade and escapes. Yeah. Uh, he makes it to the Rio Grande. Uh, DS9 fired a green beam at him, which that. pisses me off. It's the worst part of this episode. And we'll <laughs> talk about that in a minute. And he gets in touch with some dumb admiral who tells him if he goes back to DS9, no one's going to hurt him. Yep. So that makes up his mind for him. He makes a run for the Parada system. Uh, I guess because he was just there. Yeah. Because he thinks it's all connected to the Parada security He visit. keeps saying he needs to warn them. Yes. Which may be a part of his uh, spoiler alert. Just, yeah. Uh, he gets there, he hides using a magnetic field uh, from the Mekong, and then he follows it to Parada 2, and he finds Sisko and Kira meeting with Parada rebels. Uh, and then, as uh, a door opens, one of the rebels shoots him. And mm. it turns out, real O'Brien was behind that door. Yeah. We've been following a replicant all along. Yeah. He, he was programmed, they don't know to do what, probably to disrupt or assassinate, but his programming didn't get a chance to activate yet, and he was just behaving like regular O'Brien, and the reason that all of those people were being suspicious was because they knew that O'Brien had been kidnapped, and they suspected that he was a replicant, but they couldn't prove it. And they're all bad actors, but couldn't think of a way to get out of situations where they'd have to interact with him closely. That's right. We've been following a dang old replicant all along. Mm-hmm. Big twist. Mm-hmm. Except why does DS9 fire green phasers? I now? know, dude. That bird was huge. Why is that big bird in the movie? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That bird was huge. Our, our sister's ex-boyfriend's... Uh, Main st- criticism of the Lord, <laughs> Lord of the, of the Rings, Rings movie. <laughs> that bird was huge. <laughs> that is you with this green beam. What's like... Because at that moment, I was like, ah, maybe it's not Deep Space Nine. Uh, yeah, they were. you thought that was part of the game. Ah, it's, just... it's a future imperfect. He's in a future imperfect. Whoever they sent the effects to had never done it before and didn't care. And, just and they went, just went, ah, fuck it, like shoot him with a green one. Some kind of green-ass laser? I don't know how it works. Yeah. I'm sorry that threw you off. It's it's the same as Data using a contraction immediately <laughs> after Lore's beamed into space. It's true. You, you still wonder if it is the real DS9. Did real O'Brien die? Yeah. 
Uh, Matt, what's this ding-dangle episode about? I know this one. You can't trick me with this one. I know there's a lot of tricks in this episode, but I know what the premise is. And the only reason I'd have to answer the question about what the premise is is to prove that I know it, and I know it. So. I see. Maybe I'll refuse to answer. You're not falling for my trap. Not even my code trap. That's right. You have to get me in the deep code. That's where you get me. Um, I guess what it's saying... I had a really hard time figuring out what it was saying. So what I decided was <laughs> the ignorant conflate heroism and mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean for that, what I mean about that well, is... Well, first of all, that's a great sentence. <laughs> and I think it's the first time it's ever been said. It's a Botnik sentence. I got it from Botnik. Um, oh, I see. No, it's real. It's a real sentence out of my brain, um, which is great. And... What I mean is, he thinks he's he's really going to go out there and save the day, but he just doesn't have all the facts, though. Right? I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't have all the facts, and it turns out he's on the bad guy side. He's a bad guy. And they guy. don't think of telling him, by the way. No, they don't sit him down and go, I know this is going to sound crazy. You're we had re- reports you were kidnapped. We want to make sure you're you. You're a also, rep- you're not doing the security arrangements, because that just seems prudent. Yeah, they should just sit him down and tell him he's a replicoid at this point. Yeah. Um, but the, instead he has to go on his commando mission to save the day. Now, he definitely does act exactly like O'Brien, so those rebels... Oh, they did a very good job. It should be very frightening to the Federation. I would be scared shit. And it's not the rebels, it's the actual Parada government. Oh, that's right, it's not the rebels. Yeah, it's the government who does it. Those guys did a wonderful job, and I would hire them in a minute. Yeah. To make other replicoids. They did real good. Um, so... I gave that a four, but that's so tenuous, I'm going to drop it to a three. I see. All right, here's what I think this one was about. Okay. And I had to think about it. Okay. If it seems like everyone is out to get you, right? maybe you should stop and ask yourself why that might be. Okay, hold on a second. Because what I had was, let me just read you my whole paragraph. Okay. My whole paragraph <laughs> says, okay, so what the episode could be saying is that sometimes you need to look in the damn mirror. And that when you think everyone is wrong, maybe it's just you who's wrong. Right. And then I said, maybe it's saying that without context, what you think is heroism is really criminal. Yeah, let's go with that. I see. So we're, <laughs> you're on the same page. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I thought that was my take is worth four points. Okay. All right. It's a four point take because it's not a real situation. Yeah. There's it's... never a situation where everyone in the entire universe is against you. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Maybe if you're like, no, no, I was going to say maybe it, if you're it like, makes sense, though. Don't don't buy into dumb, paranoid behavior and don't don't make yourself a victim. But uh, this is the scenario is not real. That's all. Yeah, it's like when they have ones that are about time travel or evil robots. And it's like, this isn't really going to be relevant to me. OK, so four and a three. OK. Now, the problem with this premise. Okay, let's hear it. In execution. Every episode of season one of Deep Space Nine was ways the whole station could have been taken over during O'Brien's week away. Yep. It's kind of, it makes it hard to blame the guy. It's true. A lot of weird shit has happened 15 idiotic things happened to him last year. Yeah. Where a fucking virus made everybody act out a weird power struggle on an alien world. Dude, Could has, definitely have been happening here. Hold on, though. If has, Cisco had just had the clock on his desk, I would have been like, <laughs> they back. It's right. 
Um, has it been one week or two since he um, was hunted by the alien government about those harvester viruses? Oh, uh, that was last week. Okay, yeah, so it was last week he's... that alien government did a conspiracy against him. There are a lot of extenuating circumstances for him then. Right. Um, now, having said that, I think a couple of things are pretty well done in this episode. Okay. Which I did not like. I, I am in total agreement on this. I did not like this episode and thought there were some things. When it was revealed that O'Brien was suspected of having been replaced, but it couldn't be proved, everybody's actions still made sense. Okay. Like, it hangs together, which yeah. is more than happens in any other scenario here. Yeah, I agree. I think um, that all holds up just the parts where they're all not very good at acting. Yes. Also, Hard, but I don't know if that would, I mean, I don't know if people in real life would be good at that either. Right. Also, because this whole thing happens before whatever switch has been thrown in the replicant, O'Brien acts identical, and Colomini said he was just trying to play him as if he was regular O'Brien. Yeah. Power play O'Brien, uh, but yeah, regular O'Brien. And what that saves us from, in terms of execution, is obvious tells. Yeah. Like, he doesn't do 15 Freudian slips. He doesn't... Yeah. Like, there's nothing... Basically, they stepped around a lot of opportunities to do real bad shit. I thought maybe we were going to get into that during his weird physical, where they were having the conversation about his dead, dead mother? Yes, but of course, when you think about it after the fact, that's just uh, Bashir looking for some evidence that he's been replaced. Yeah. He's trying to see if his memory's intact, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that his scanner can't tell him, probably. Yeah. In the scene, I was like, oh, wait a minute, are we going to come up with something? And I was like, oh, nope, we didn't. Uh, so again, didn't like this episode. I am giving it six points for execution. Dude, we are like so in lockstep. I gave this a six on execution. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the take that I came up with, O'Brien indeed does act as we've come to expect a real O'Brien to act. Uh, fully ready to go commando to save the day, but it has revealed everyone else is on the good right side and he's a sleeper operative. So all that stuff fits uh, what I was talking about. Um, but since I think they were really just trying to make a suspense show, I don't give them a ton of credit for that. Right? I mean, we can agree they were making a suspense show. Oh, 100%. There was no real takeaway. But um, there are some interesting choices this show makes. Some of them you already talked about. Some of them are even welcome choices, which is very rare for DS9. I generally do not enjoy the, uh, boy, things are dark, how did we get here flashbacks. Yeah. Um, and that holds true here. I don't like it. Yeah, it's not necessary. Th this would be better if they just ran it in, in chronological order. I think they just that kind of storytelling usually doesn't come off as ringing true in terms of, usually in terms of what somebody would actually say to their diary. Right. O'Brien in this episode tells a really strange version of this story in order to let the viewer at home come along and catch up with events. Where he says stuff straight up just like, but who would have guessed what the truth would be? And you're just like, <laughs> no one would say that. Yeah. Uh, however, it is made more effective in this case because you get the twist after he's finished telling the story. Yes. And it, you kind of forget some of the schlock along the way. Because the twist probably is very effective on first viewing. I would think so. Because O'Brien acts like real O'Brien. I didn't remember the twist. Yeah. Uh, I I assumed that there was a twist, but I thought we were doing a... A future imperfect of some kind. Yeah, this like is a, a simulated environment. Or something. And yeah. it was I, I didn't I didn't think O'Brien was the I thought he was wrong about what was happening. I didn't think he was the one who was replaced. Right. He acts like real O'Brien. The others are portrayed from his point of view as kind of suspicious, secretive, possibly sinister. 
So the twist, I think, in real time, first time we ever saw it, is kind of a wow. Um, so that's as effective as you're going to get in Star Trek. And then the super tight shots of their faces during the Keiko dinner scene were actually fairly suspenseful. Because I don't oh, know yeah. what you're supposed to be worried about. Is he afraid he's being poisoned? Is he just trying to look at her face to figure out what the hell's going on in there? Like, what is she doing? Because she comes off as creepy as shit. Yeah, Keiko O'Brien is an underwritten and shrewish character. Yes. Um, but uh, Rosalind Chow does some great face acting. Yeah. When he doesn't eat the stew, her face changes mm-hmm. in a great way. Yeah, and I um, I thought of all the characters, her character acts... Most the, realistic. Well, I think, she, I think she gives the game away the most in that he has... So many reasons to suspect her behavior, and they really should have kept her away from him. They should have been like, "Oh, Keiko's got to go back to Earth again." Yeah, you know what she I mean. Should have, she should have been like, "If you think he's a sleeper agent, you send him to his quarters with her and a baby." Well, you notice that she got rid of the baby immediately. She did, but Cisco didn't. Cisco yeah, said, "Just true. take him home to your bed and probably do him." And she's like, "I can't go through with that." But you know what I mean? Like, this is kind she's of like, "Look, I barely want to do him." normal so so she's gonna do such a bad job of convincing him because it's probably freaky for her they really should have done something about that anyway i I agreed it was a six in execution okay uh ben on this episode has a four take you're only paranoid if they aren't really out to get you okay and a six on execution whoa um well is that i think he liked the film noir but i think he's a guy who likes film noir oh well Somebody must. Uh, he thinks that they put more effort than usual into the fish head makeup guys. Uh, okay. Like, you know. They were definitely hella made up. They were very made up. That's why there were only two of them. That's right. Um, let's see. Uh, he liked the real reveal more than what he thought was happening, which I guess I there do, too. So I think that, that kind of shows yeah. it. So I guess basically... A lot of times at Deep Space Nine, they've tried some filmmaking and it hasn't worked so well. Yeah. This time it kind of did work. And I think we all agreed it kind of worked. A six is not an unbelievable score, but we all agreed yeah. it was a six. All right. But on the other hand, world building. Okay. So world building. Um, There's a level H2 on Deep Space Nine. And the H probably stands for Habitat Ring. That makes sense. The computer can scan for telepathic activity. Don't understand how that works. Doesn't make any sense to me, but apparently true. Maybe when he said scan for telepathic activity, maybe it um, it did the thing. It did a minuet, and it it was ah. able to parse what he said to like scan for um, alien life forms that it knows to have telepathic abilities. Right, something like that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, That's I'm doing a lot they, more work than the computer writers. to work. Sorry. <laughs> um, undetectable replicants, but I don't really expect them to come around. I only gave it two points for world building. Holy shit, dude. I, gave I it... didn't think it got the standard three. I gave it two points. <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't downgraded my four to a three, we'd be identical. That is on true. On the premise. That is true. Uh, I have a crack in the RF power conduit disabled the upper pylons, so that's garbage. Um, that's right. Parada representatives are coming for some kind of conference. O'Brien's already been hanging with them. Uh, he got himself a flashbang grenade of some kind. By the way, good for O'Brien for fucking getting on a runabout and going away to hang with it, some aliens alone after a, a what week. fucking just happened. <laughs> One week later. 
Like, That's like, how much eh, he hates living with No Keiko. more away missions for a couple of weeks, huh? <laughs> he, he came home, he had like three days off. They gave him some time off because of the ordeal he'd been through. He spent all that time with Keiko and Molly, and he's like, I'm ready to get back out there. Yeah, he had a, like a raw 48 hours to get over the uh, harvesters in his blood, <laughs> and then it was fucking back on the road. Uh, Starfleet working with the rebels because of these crazy government cloning spy programs, I'm guessing? Is Starfleet already working with the Rebels or only in this No, instance? I think they just got a message from a Rebel agent in the government okay. who reported that O'Brien had been kidnapped. Also, were they already going to go meet them there? Or did they, like, was it coincidence that O'Brien took them there? Yeah, the timing is not clear on when the Rebels liberated O'Brien because that's they were also there to pick him up, right? Because Bashir was in, so they chased fake O'Brien there. Yeah. And then they went, Right to the planet where apparently Bashir was treating O'Brien right away. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, what if O'Brien had gone somewhere else? What if he'd gone the exact opposite direction? Would they have chased I him? I think they probably still would have gone and gotten real O'Brien. Yeah, so that's... I think that's a coincidence and they should have explained it. They should have explained it because I I was trying to... I was wondering why they only spent mm, eight seconds looking for O'Brien after he disappeared behind that planet. Yeah, I'm sure at that point Cisco's like, well, <laughs> let's go get the real one. Yeah. I don't care about these runabouts. We lost one last week. Uh, They'll just send me I'm, more. I'm flying them in the replacement now, the Mekong. They're going to send me a six-pack of replacements. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so we are in total lockstep. Uh, I will, I'll move on to characterization here. Yes, please. O'Brien tells stories to himself in baffling ways, as I said, to nobody in particular. Who could have guessed what the truth would turn out to be? <laughs> he is a self-talker, though. He mimics people to himself. He, he talks to himself about drinking too, too much, much coffee, coffee etc. Yeah. And I think that's consistent with other DS9 O'Brien. Is O'Brien afraid of butt stuff with the physical or penis stuff? He does mention that he got poked in every orifice and and Bashir made new ones. So he's very sensitive about something. Yeah, he's he really did not want to be in there. He got very grouchy about it. Only when Cisco told him he had to go did he agree to go. And then... Um, once again, power play O'Brien here puts his hands on the bartender. Yeah. Why is it okay to do that? Yeah. Even if the bartender's scum, it's like, you know, you can't you can't just handle him. Um, Bashir is obviously fishing in this physical, but like, is this kind of banter appropriate? Uh, it's uh... where he asks him about his junk and but so not that's in a, a real way. good question. He's like. I, I honestly don't I don't know how it would be if your doctor was also a close colleague yeah, all the I, time. I don't think I would like that. I don't know what the rules are like. I've only ever been to doctors who were strangers, and I only ever will be. That's correct. It's a new it's doctor every time. Life. I've never gone to a doctor twice. Oh, I see. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> I told you about the time, right, when I picked one just randomly because i didn't care but i i thought it was a dude because it because i'm a racist and it was a foreign name but it turned out to be a chick and then the no what happened well just the chick had to look at my bits and that's okay i, I wasn't the end of the yeah, world that's fine Doesn't i was matter. just i really thought it, i just assumed it was gonna be a dude because i'm sexist and racist i thought one uh, this name is nothing to me it must be a dude two it's a doctor Do ladies can't be doctors and just walked in there and i was like oh it's a lady yeah, my uh, primary care physician was assigned to me by Kaiser. Okay. And does uh, specialize in women's health issues, and I don't give a shit. She, <laughs> she can she can prescribe me an antibiotic as good as anybody. That's right. 
anyway. it's like if I have to have some specialist, like if something goes wrong with my dick, there I'm going to see a specialist about it anyway. That's right. So who cares? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Odo uh, is the only one who's even capable of pulling off this charade. But like, when he gets off that shuttle, does he really not? Has he not been? Briefed, and that's why he acts like he's real into it. And then when he meets him later in a security office, he's like, he seems like he's been changed. That's my assumption. Why wouldn't they brief the security officer? I think just because he's been off world and they're keeping it quiet on the fucking communicator. Okay, well, that's a mistake because he got him right when he got off the damn thing. He did. He was fucking waiting for him there. Um, Jake is pretty brave to knock on fake O'Brien right in his face. Yeah. <laughs> he just kind of reaches over to the comm yep. panel and goes... He's up here! <laughs> I was like, ooh! I could definitely get you shot. What a good boy. Also, maybe don't, don't walk right by Cisco's quarters I on your, during your escape. Yeah, that is kind of a weird... Well, you had to get to where it needed to go, I guess. Um, In this last scene, where they find at the, uh, the real O'Brien... They make no effort to save dying Replica and O'Brien. So much worse than that. This is the coldest I've ever seen anybody. Everyone in this scene shows an alarming lack of concern for the confused dying man. They just ramble on in front of him for ages as he takes his final breaths. Just all about him and, and his mission. Yeah, a doctor is right there. Finally, he blurts out Keiko, like his dying last words, and they're just like, what a weird old clone. <laughs> it's like, it was so unbelievable. They could not have cared less that this dude was, um, again, currently dying. Didn't try to help him. Didn't care at all that he'd been killed. Yeah, he's probably blood is filling that lung he got yeah. shot in. I think they, I think in the future they really do treat clones the way they're treated in the Star Trek episode, the TNG episode we haven't seen yet. Yeah, they they, they do treat them basically the same way the Jedi do. If that's what you're asking, <laughs> that's right. Exactly, just murder them. They aren't real. They're not real people. Uh, I give it a four. Are we still in lockstep? Yeah, I give it a four. Holy shit. Can I change um, my first score back to a four just so we can have that? I mean, that's such a dumb reason to give Deep Space Nine an extra point, but I whatever I you want. It. It's already the third best show, so. Uh, <laughs> O'Brien is a nasty boy who writes dirty letters to Keiko. Yeah. Um, it's hard to assign characterization points based on a replicant O'Brien and a bunch of characters who are behaving strangely for security reasons, but everything we're led to believe is that O'Brien, like, at the end, real O'Brien is like, uh, that's what I would have done. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, okay, I guess that counts. Not only that, counts. we've seen O'Brien, and we know that's what he would have done. That is true. It, he's, he's very credible throughout this. Yeah. Um, it does seem that O'Brien confirms that he would immediately assume the entire fucking Federation had been replaced <laughs> or taken over before he would question whether the problem might be with him. I don't think that says something good about O'Brien. No, I don't think so. O'Brien's like, yeah, I'd believe well, it. For one thing, it takes an insane self-confidence that I don't have. Yeah, I, for as sure. the first guy who told me that I, there was nothing to worry about, I would go, I guess there's probably nothing to worry about. Dude, dude would be like, your mom's not dead, and I'd be like, oh, oh shit. I, what? I thought she was dead. This is really embarrassing. No, 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 no. She is dead, though. I must not have told him right. Why would he say that? I must not have told him good. I'll tell him <laughs> yeah. better next time. Did I tell him my mom was still alive for some weird reason and I don't remember? Mental note. Next time I'm in here we're talking to Bashir, make a, a, like, really talk good about my dead mom so he remembers right. it. <laughs> um, I hear that cat. Yeah, everything Everything I need to say about characterization I said in execution, I just think that uh, this makes O'Brien seem a little bit dumber and worse. Okay. 
all told like at the end of the day this is just kind of like oh yeah this guy he kind of does suck a little bit yeah but he's like i called the admiral and she's like just go back and and then he's like could it be the whole federation yeah. i'm going to the Protoss. yeah last week we saw a uh, cool tng o'brien go into the staff meeting all sure of himself and confident and cool and like come up with a solution to a problem and then we we keep getting ds9 o'brien who is just a lump of shit yeah i think the only explanation that makes sense is that keiko has not been good for him like i think that's true a data day changed him stayed a bachelor i bet he regrets data's day as much as we do we all regret data's day although i regret it less now that i remember that it's not the episode that has joe piscopo in it (laughs) that's right for some reason, I always stick that there, yeah, but it's, it's actually the one where Dr. Crusher teaches him to dance, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sucks too. Not as much as Joe Piscopo. Well, it's told like this. Where Data tells a bunch of flashbacks, right? It's all told. Uh, it's all told in a letter to. It's a, told in a. It's told in a log. It, like it's told in it's a letter na- to. It is narrated name? from the letter that he writes to a guy we're going to meet next week. Oh my god! Is that next week? Uh I thought so. Yes. Oh, I'm so pumped. I, I don't think I saw the the thumbnail uh but i don't think at any point he's like let me tell you how it first began i think it's just the letter is read as we cut into the various scenes yeah he's like i recently had a weird week (laughs) doctor whatever yeah he's like i've been writing you the you know how i've been writing you these letters i will explain that oh whatever we'll get to this in four years yeah um Oh, Jesus, is it that late? It is pretty late, isn't it? We'll get to it in a long time. Um, uh, so we'll... Yeah, four. Um, ben gave this episode a five in world building. Wow. Because he... I Let's see. O'Brien has access to all of the officer's logs because he's got level one security access. Normally he does. That's correct. Yeah. Knows how to make grenades. He knows how to make flashbangs. He's immune to... I think he sort of covered his eyes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can dodge phaser fire if you're middle-aged enough, he says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Again, we've seen some real lazy shoulder rolls in these shows. He's realizing that you have to go through the wormhole at impulse speed. I guess it, that he hadn't thought about that before. Okay. Right. Uh, replicants. Was Thomas Riker a replicant? No. No, he was a transporter. Thomas right, Riker so. was a transporter, whoopsie. Yeah. We've seen several of those already. Yeah, we'll see more. We saw one this week. We saw a transporter whoopsie this week. Uh, characterization, he gives us as many as a six. Yeah. Uh, he says Bashir looks good by comparison to uh, O'Brien, who is an asshole. Yeah. By the way, when Julian uh, repeated with him that it's not Dr. Zero problem with, it's you, Julian, that means O'Brien tells him that a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, Bashir is his superior officer. Yeah. Do you think it- he's putting up with a lot of shit? Is there a is there a, a theory here, maybe kicking around, that um, O'Brien has a crush on Bashir, and he's trying to work that out? Well, he needs to learn Garrick eyes. Then, <laughs> well, that's how you get him. I mean, Bashir is all in on Garrick. That's for sure. I'm all in on Garrick. Well, me too. No, no. I, I want that dude to make those eyes to me. I don't. Bl- I don't blame Bashir at all. I'm just saying you're right that if something like that would work, he needs to do something like that. He needs to devour him with his eyes. <clears throat> All right. Uh, some quick hitters. I can do it. Let me do them. Yes. I want to do them. It's my turn. Um, it's not, but that's okay. I could never sleep on those flat-ass Minbari pillows. I don't understand why they can't have good pillows. Why do they, they get got those replicators. Pillows? Those pillows look exactly like Minbari pillows. 
They gotta steal that from JMS's Bible too. What if we made them a triangle, like a really flat triangle? All right. Like um, they're kind of like the Lamborghinis of pillows. Like I know they, I know when they were making this show, they didn't have memory foam pillows and shit. No. So I get it, but like, just a flat fucking triangle in a carpet material. No, it wasn't until a few years later where I called the police on that, that sexy commercial that they used to. Have. Uh. The lady she was in on her bed. nightgown. Yeah, not okay. It was above the knee. It was it was gross. It was obscene. Um, I remembered this episode and the twist. Um, almost from the start, and then I felt bad for you because I knew where it was all going, but I didn't remember that it was decently done. If you're DeCurtis, how many times a week do you ask for a transfer? Oh, a lot. I have to imagine. I mean, Cisco tells you to knock out some repairs, and you got O'Brien yelling at you about it. And then we find out that actually DeCurtis also has to keep some super secret stuff from. I Angry assume that O'Brien. they didn't tell DeCurtis the secrets. They then just how told come him he is allowed to enter that room That's when he tells point. O'Brien that he's not allowed to. Yeah, you're right. They must have told him the secrets. They stuff. told him the fucking secrets. I mean, he's a, he's a whole commissioned officer, which O'Brien is not. Yeah, so, so how does a, how does, how does If O'Brien can have level one clearance. <laughs> Um, not sure uh, of the technical aspects of how he overcame the security locks on the station logs. I'm not sure it's, I mean, I'm not sure it's really crucial to the story, because he tells us. He, like, he goes over in detail how he overcame the security logs. Um, yes. And security on the station logs, and it's like, hmm, are you, is he just bragging? Because if you're listening to this story as he's telling uh, his diary, like, that's not going to be crucial. And then here's, I bypassed this. Uh, the again, the Mekong appears to give up on the search for O'Brien seven or eight seconds after he goes on the far side of that planet. <laughs> like, yeah. we can't possibly find him now. He disappeared. Um, that's all I had. O'Brien's birthday is in September. Okay. Everyone was calling him Mister O'Brien, and so far he and I and I wrote and so far he hasn't noticed. They usually refer to him as Chief. Yeah, that's true. There's lots of little signs. He should have been paying more attention. Yeah. You're right. He was distracted. He was distracted by how many people were up early. (laughs) O'Brien's mom is dad and his uh, dad and his dad remarried. What the fuck is sweet flan? Yeah. What's not sweet flan? Right. Is there a savory (laughs) fucking flan out there? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Is that a quiche? Did they used to call quiche savory flan? That must be Keiko's unfamiliarity with flan. I see. Um, O'Brien's uh, security access code contains the word Molly, which is cute, but not secure. Yeah, it's really not secure. Also, he enters it by hitting buttons on that pad. Right. One of those buttons produces the word Molly if you hit it. <laughs> well, that's Star that's Trek That's going to be you. a dead giveaway that it's part of the thing. <laughs> that's Star Trek for you, dude. You punch three buttons, you're in. Yeah, um, but usually you just say Janeway Omicron 7-7... Alpha Tango. Right. Yeah, you think uh, having Molly in your password is going to trick Garrick? Garrick has been you know, through all of his logs. He's, he's seen it all. <laughs> and Quark's got those tubes. Yeah. He doesn't even need, he doesn't need access. Yeah. Seriously, do you think there's anything on that station Quark and Garrick haven't both looked at? No, they have okay. both seen every file. They probably secretly mark a file so that each one knows that the other one's been there. <laughs> That's right. It's a game. Oh, man, we just created the best episode. Oh, well. I agree. Um, 
I gave best actor to Keiko and worst actor to Cisco. He was the character who seemed most out of character. He couldn't come up with a good way to tell lies. He wasn't. He's not good at lying. No. He's like, uh, oh, Jake's got bad grades, and then, but he didn't tell Jake. But his usual answer when someone comes to him with a complaint about something is to say it's your problem. That's true. And instead, he's like, he's uh, being way too chatty with O'Brien. Yeah. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have assigned him without talking to you first. And it's like, yeah, trying to appease. That's him. not how Cisco. That's not Cisco's leadership style. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I'm just really angry now that we've talked about this episode so much. I'm really angry that Garrick hasn't been in it in a while again. I know. it's he they, came didn't want, they didn't know what they had, I think. Ugh. We were so excited when he came back. I was like, okay, good. Now Garrick's going to be in it. No. Oh, hell yeah. Second Garrick. Yeah, Let's he, do it. He disappeared again. He's gone again. Um, We watched another one? Yeah. What, so what, what would you say? So we gave this episode some points. Mm. I haven't I haven't totaled it up. Um, frankly, maybe not as many as Mirror Mirror because we both thought they didn't do much world building. But yeah. like, it definitely scored some points. How did you feel about it? Again, I don't like the narrative device. Yeah, I didn't like that. Um, and O'Brien, I'm so I'm tired of seeing shitty O'Brien. Boy, it really sucked coming off of Unnatural Selection, where he was like the, yeah, sharp, he's... sharp and with it. Yeah. And not a grumpy asshole. And then in, even in this week's TNG, he appears briefly, but just for some harmless banter with Riker. And you're like, oh, remember when he wasn't an asshole? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, overall, I didn't feel that great about it. Okay. Well, I thought it was um, done fine, but I, I didn't necessarily enjoy it. We got two more of these to go. Uh, next up is Voyager. This week we watched Death Wish. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who could get up Wow. <laughs> well. Hey, this is a Q episode. Oh, it's, that's a double Q episode. Sometimes it's a triple Q episode. But. Yeah, there's, that's right. There's one scene where there's a triple Q episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, they come across a, another dang old comet. And they can't help themselves, so they gotta look into it. Can you guess how things are gonna go after they look into this special comet? It's not gonna go so good, is the answer. Uh, so anyway, they like try to beam up some of the comet fragment, because it's a very different special comet with the special skills, and they want to learn all about it. It's, and, um, uh, like with Picard's, uh, holodesk, it's in an impossible orbit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, so they try to beam up a, a fragment of it, and instead they, they beam up a Q. Not our Q, another different Q. Not Delancey, but different. And this Q, uh, he's got like a, a silly creeper face. Uh, first of all, did you recognize him? Uh, no. Uh, he's in Babylon 5. Is he? Mm-hmm. He plays Lord Kiro. Uh, oh, now I do. Now I recognize him. Um, so anyway, he uh, he's he's not so good with his powers because he's been in, imprisoned for like 300 years. Three Earth centuries. And yes. uh, he accidentally uh, warps all the men of Voyager away uh, in a whoopsie. And then our Q, Delancey Q, he shows up. 
I guess What's he trying to do when he warps them all away? I think he's trying to warp himself away. He's trying to kill himself, right? Yeah, he's trying to do a suicide, but we'll, I mean, we'll get to that. He, he's trying to kill himself. No one's really sure what's happening yet, though. Um, anyway, then Delancey shows up, I guess, because he's been alerted that he's broken out of his comet prison. Um, uh, other Q summons him because he needs someone who understands humans. Oh, wait, why? To get back the men. <laughs> you need someone who understands humans to do that? Yeah, apparently. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, Delancey shows up. I'm just going to call him Delancey in the other one, Q, from now on. Uh, Delancey shows up, and then um, he's like, hey, time to put you back in your comet prison. And uh, dude's like, no, I'm formally requesting asylum from this old lady here that I just met. Uh, and then, for some reason, Janeway agrees to go through the whole charade of having a trial to determine whether or not she should accept his request for asylum. Yeah, she, like, tricks him into agreeing to this asylum hearing so that they'll stop fucking taking Voyager into Adams and the Big Bang. Yeah, they go, oh my god, they got some real hijinks going on with some uh, funny music and stuff. Uh, and for some reason, Q agrees to that, maybe because he has a certain characteristic. <laughs> Did someone say game? And perchance, for interest's sake, god, a deadly game? Dialogue Monster was really on fire at that era. Um, oh, that's like episode five or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, they're doing a, they're doing a hide and seek game where Voyager goes to the Big Bang and then it, yeah, uh, it goes to like particle size and, and then it's a Christmas tree ornament, which I, I looked like it was on the set of um, all good th- of uh, generations. Generations. That is correct. Yeah. I also thought that this was in the Nexus. Yeah. This was Picard's Christmas tree. Yeah, where the all the little girls are calling him Papa. Anyway, so they're going to do this dang sham trial. That's because he's French. And that's also why he calls his mom Maman. Yeah. They're going to do the, the, the trial. Tuvok has been uh, picked by Q to be his representative. Delan- Delancey chooses himself, I think. Um. Then they, like, go and... They present evidence. Cube makes a uh, Delancey makes a double of himself as the star witness on the continuum. Um, then he also calls uh, Riker, Sir Isaac Newton, and and a sound technician. Maury Ginsburg. Maury, say his name. Maury Ginsburg. <laughs> this episode played by? was fucking horrible. I really fucking hate this episode. Oh, who's Who played Maury Ginsburg? I don't know. Maury Ginsburg. Oh, okay. They just used his name for the character. That's good to know. Um, just a- as evidence of all the ways that uh, this this troubled Q has been messing with everyone's shit, and that's why he's dangerous and has to be locked back up in that comet prison. It's all true. But that's Every sort word of you say is true. Not what Delancey's really worried about. He's less worried about how dangerous this guy is for those reasons, and more dangerous about what it would mean if he actually killed himself. What yes. it would mean to the continuum. Yeah, what it would mean for their social order more than anything. Yeah, their society. Um, eventually, uh, Q decides to take everyone on a field trip to see the continuum in ways that they might understand. So they have a real fucking hack sci-fi writer depiction of the continuum, which is... Like, visit the land of metaphor. Yeah, sleepy old 
house out on the side of a highway where some people playing some games and looking real cryptic. They're going to New Vertiform City. It's New Vertiform City. It's Basically. exactly New Vertiform City. Um, and uh, Q describes uh, existence as as a Q. Uh, you you've seen everything. You've done everything. What's the point of being around anymore? Apparently, this Q used to be some kind of great philosopher uh, when he was uh, espousing the wonderful benefits of the Q society and how great they were. But now that he's changed his mind, he's a pariah, and they put him in a comet. Anyway. Uh, he manages to convince Janeway that uh, his life is intolerable. His life is intolerable, and he should be allowed to do what he wants with it. So she grants him asylum. Uh, Q takes away his uh, dang old powers uh, and um, um, omni- omnipotence, and uh, he eats a poison, and he dies. That's right. And who gave him that poison? Delancey gave him the poison, because now Delancey's inspired to be a real dick again. That's right. He has learned his lesson. He's learned. Again. He's learned. Not he's to learned be, the bad lesson. He's learned to be a dick like he was in the olden days. Because the other guy said that's when he was irrepressible and um, um, amazing in some way. God, I really did not like this episode. But what did no, you think not, it was about? Not fun to watch uh, for sure. Uh, this is just straight up a pro suicide episode or a pro euthanasia episode. Okay. Suicide can be morally justified when life is intolerable. It actually does get a couple extra points for me because this was kind of a big deal in the nineties. Yeah, all the Kevorkian stuff. Kevorkian and, uh... stuff, and there's other right to die stuff coming up. And this might have been a little before Terry Schiavo, but like that shows that it was still relevant even a couple years later. Hmm. Uh, so probably did need a little bit of sci-fi love to talk about. Okay, uh, I gave it five points. Wow. It seemed like you were going to give it more, based on. That. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not a startling proposition. Yeah. Uh, I gave it seven. I see. Uh, and I have the individual's rights must be respected, even when they conflict with those of the state, because that's the opposite of the thing he says is the problem. Yeah, I guess that's true. And Ben's uh, sort of with you here. He gives it six, saying, "Does the desire of the one outweigh the desire of the many?" Yeah. It's the I just used the inverse of Q's statement about the continuum. Right. Um, it's idealistic in the extreme and very Star Trek, if uh, insanely oversimplified and possibly dangerous in and of itself as an idea. But hey, it's a take. It's like a hot take. They went, hey, we're going to go for a take. Yeah, they did a thing. Yeah, so I gave them points for that. Execution. Um, I hated the tone of this episode. It's very bad. It starts off all hijinks. There's two cues, then three cues, and it's their silly music, and they're going, they're chasing each other around, and Q's got all the jokes, and it's like, wait a minute, are we about to tackle suicide? What are we doing? So obviously that's why they did that. Yeah, but it's so tonally off. <laughs> well, no. So I mean, uh, also here's the thing. That is not how the decision was made. They're not like we're going to do a serious suicide episode. We need to lighten it up. I know Q. What yeah. really happened was, we gotta work John Delancey in here. Yeah. We gotta get Q back. Who's got an idea? Who's got an idea? Michael Pillar's son has an idea. No! No! Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Michael Pillar's And he comes off as a real proud dad about it on the Memory Alpha background section. Alright, great. Um, so we already talked about the poor imagery that they yeah. use in this episode. Um... And I actually thought they were afraid to take on assisted suicide because a lot of things are couched in terms of the individual's rights versus the state's. 
and a lot of theoretical stuff about how it will affect Q society. But this is the argument against assisted suicide. Well, but what I'm saying is, rather than say, in many cases, instead of having Janeway or one of the other people say that it's about suicide, they say it's about rights oh, in general. Yes. And, Until her sum-up speech. Yes. And, um... And again, what Q's argument is all about is usually, uh, what Delancey's argument is all about is usually, it has little to do with suicide and more to do with a very theoretical problem for an alien culture that is not like ours at all. That is true. Like That's not a good When somebody dies here, the whole society doesn't notice at all, actually. Right. And he's talking about some kind of great harm it's going to have on, uh, on Q society. So I thought they were actually kind of not going at it as head-on as they could have. Um, it is true, although they do they do tackle one of the questions, which is, does a desire to commit suicide automatically render you unfit to make the decision? Yeah, that'd be like uh, one of them paradoxes or something. That's right. Yeah. Um, still, they did attempt to do something. I gave them four points. We're not terrible far off on this one. I gave them as many as five. Okay. Um, I think that doing all this silly shit is a fundamental misunderstanding of what's fun about Star Trek. Yeah. Um, I also think if you're going to do this, you've missed some opportunities here to, for instance, ask Kess what she thinks about her hypermortality. Especially because Q brings it up. It's mentioned. Mm -hmm. The writers didn't forget about it. Also... There's a there's some question of what it's like to be a Q, the nature of the Q. Should have asked Riker while he was there. That's right. He was only the Q for two hours, he, but... But for an omnipotent But he game. lived it up. Yeah. I wonder if he visited the Continuum. We don't see it, but that's fine. If this was the best that they could come up with for a representation of the Continuum, I'm not mad about it. Also, since you looked into the, what was going on with this episode, how did Riker get involved in this shit? Was he directing or something? No, they just thought it was cute. That's insane that they made him show up for that. Or asked yeah. him to. Yeah. He he becomes one of three, three characters who have appeared in three series, something like that. Well, he... he's actually... Well, I think you're right, because Thomas Riker appears in DS9. Thomas Riker appears in DS9. Yeah, Frakes himself has appeared in 4, but... Uh, it said one of them was Sirtis, and I don't remember that at all. Well, she's so. in Enterprise and Voyager. Oh, okay. So Boy, we'll still her see her alerts. coming up at some point in Voyager? Yeah. Nah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so no, I think they just thought it'd be cute to bring him in there. And, uh, boy, how out of touch are baby boomers that they think people care about Woodstock. That oh they think God. saving Woodstock is a big deal. I want, what year was that, 95 or something that uh, this episode happened? This is season two of Voyager, so it would be two seasons after TNG went off the air. So probably 96 or 97, depending on when in the year this aired. Yeah, I can't believe people really gave too much of a shit. Yeah. We were past Woodstock's 25th anniversary and not yet at Woodstock 99. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. I guess Woodstock was probably more in the consciousness then. Yeah. This is like one of the three things that Q did. One of the reasons his life is sacred. Oh, no, no. There's a fourth thing. Which, for some reason, Q didn't bring up in court. 
Which is that he started the Hundred Year War between the Romulans and Vulcans. Yeah, that one's weird, too. Yep. I assume that what that means is from before the Romulans left. Romulus. I have to assume, because the Vulcans definitely mm-hmm. make it seem like they didn't have any contact with them after they yeah. left. Anyway, we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, let's check in with Ben. Um, he gave it a six for execution. Goddamn! Uh, he said he strangely liked the interview Delancey did of himself. He wonders why Janeway isn't negotiating the whole time to get home. Yeah, well, he, he tries to bribe her with it eventually. I forgot he to does. mention that in my in my very haphazard uh, plot description. In, in the end, he tries to uh, Delancey tries to bribe her into voting his way by saying he would just send her back to Earth. He thinks it's interesting that uh, he, that the trial itself, that Q agreeing to the trial because it's amusing, is evidence that life in the Q continuum is played out. Oh yeah, I think a lot of everything having to do with Delancey is evidence of that. Yeah. Well, he's definitely playing a character like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the case of world building, it's going to get the standard three this week. Okay. Um, Starfleet apparently briefed everyone about Q, mm-hmm. despite the appearance that they have done nothing of the sort. <laughs> I mean, I guess Cisco sort of knew who Q was. Yeah, maybe command level. That's one of the things. Yeah. Uh, the Q are not omnipotent. Okay. Which I already knew from Farpoint. We, we've known this for a long time. <laughs> Vulcans practice ritual suicide. Right. The Q Continuum seemed to have some kind of law like follow your bliss. Like he has some kind of imperative to follow where his life may lead or something. Mm. Which seems to be a real hedonist law. Yeah. Uh, standard three for me. Okay. I agreed it's a three. Uh, Q Society, Capital Punishment, Outlawed Suicide. Um, we get to relitigate things like Isaac Newton. Uh, uh, yes. The second appearance of the character Sir Isaac Newton mm-hmm. in Star Trek. This is all so great. I love all of this so much. Uh, let's talk about Q's assertion uh, about the Borg and the Federation, if we can, for a second. Sure. So he asserts that... Um, the Q Continuum is responsible for uh, the Federation defeating the Borg. Isn't that what he says? One presumes because this particular Q saved Riker's great-great-granddaddy during Sherman's march to the sea. Okay. So and he, Riker defeated the Borg. But he knows that he's rubbing it in that he introduced the Borg to the Federation, right? He does know that. that okay. They weren't supposed to be there in that part of the galaxy for centuries. That it will be coming up... Uh, in about five or six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, TNG uh, is just so much better than these other shows. Um. Anyway, I just, I thought that was interesting. I mean, don't look, don't get ahead of yourself. In week 35, we have the Dauphin. I can't fucking wait. I can't wait. There's some good animal war from that. It's going to be interesting. Then Contagion. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. The Royale. Oh, no. <laughs> Times Squared. That's that's a that wild one's gonna one. be wild. That's a wild one. Uh, the Icarus Factor also very yes, wild. Yes, yes, yes. Pen pals. Yeah, the, why? And I mean, for for this project, that's wild. a wild episode. Wild, and then Q who? Okay, so, so actually, just got, by the way, and then Samaritan Snare up yeah, the yeah, long yeah. ladder. If we can get through the Royale, yeah, we are in that's good gonna shape. be that's the low point yeah. I think of this season. It's low point of the entire series, I think. The Royale probably is. <laughs> that's a hard one to sit. Talk through. about a yeah, it's very bad. At right. least they don't do it film noir. 
No, but 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 it, we'll get to it. Um <clears throat> Bolian middle age laws about the double effects of suicide. Yep. A uh, hundred-year war between Vulcans and Romulans that's just brought up out of nowhere. Since Q is always fucking showing up, I feel like I have to call all this stuff about their society significant. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's a part of the world, for but sure. I also hate it so much that I'm left with an average score of three. Also, you have to remember that it is strongly implied that... Uh, Q is so interested in humanity because we're just around the corner from unlocking that level of power. Well, according to Babylon 5, it's not going to be that long before we can turn into balls of light and fly away. So, yeah. Hey, I gave it three also, by the way. I know. Uh, no, you don't. I haven't said my shit yet. Wait, really? Yeah, I did oh. world building. I just haven't done characterization. Oh, okay. Oh, so that was world that was building, building that I just did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so characterization. All right. Oh, fuck it. I already said I gave it a three. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> uh, this episode is Janeway and two guest stars. Yeah. So it's like, it's not doing much characterization work, but I guess Janeway refuses a tough bribe in it. Yeah. Like, that's about it. Yeah. I mean, there's Tuvok, but Tuvok is a mouthpiece, and we don't really get much of Tuvok's point of view. I get a little bit when he's having lunch. Yeah. You get a little bit too well. Don't forget that Q counts for this because he's been in a It is true episodes. that this is Q's 18th appearance. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and he, I mean, everything he does makes sense. I don't, I don't love how uh, sexist he is. Yeah. But I also think it's entirely possible that he is doing that 100% to get on Janeway's ass because he's, he's good at picking people. He's good at picking on people. Yeah, he... Macro head with a micro brain. <laughs> Eat any good books lately. Right, he... Um... <laughs> Eat any good books lately. <laughs> he's... Yes. No, he is. And also, they have him say that stuff to mimic um, the criticisms of real-life people. That's like, correct. A lady captain. That's why he walks on and he's like, oh, they got a lady captain now? To be like, oh, suck it, real-life people. We we made Q say your words. That's right. Yeah. You're Q. Yeah. The what? You like Q? You're Delancey. Oh, he's your favorite part. Oh, um, well. Uh, I give it a three for characterization. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Q making fun of people who didn't want a lady captain. I find that sort of smart. Um, why does why does Q know to be a belligerent chauvinist? How does he know that's going to work on her? How does he know about... How does he know all this stuff before he visits Picard? Has he been doing a lot of humanity research? It's very troubling. The portrayal of Q is not thought out. Yeah. No one knows what his powers are. He is defeated by them at every turn, and he never knows what they're going to do. No. So it's not like he's omniscient. No, he's not. No, he is. He can't. He can. He seems to be able to travel back and forth in time. But is he just projecting that image? Because he doesn't seem to be able to travel to the future to know what people are going to do. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's very hard to say. We know that he... Uh, he definitely can be stunned by a phaser. He's, I was going to say he's mentally and emotionally vulnerable, for sure. And he yes. implies himself that he is physically vulnerable in his reaction to people pointing phasers at him. Yes, knowing humans as thou dost, wouldst thou be captured helpless by them. Exactly correct. 
Um, I just, I always wonder, like, it, how many people had he met before Picard? Because he comes in as a fully realized asshole. That is true. It's a very good point. Um, but in the end, he decides to go back to his old way of life. I guess, theoretically showing some kind of character growth. Because he was a bad guy, then Corbin Burnson talked to him, and he became a reformed Q. Sort of. Sort of. And uh, now he's a now he's going to be a bad Q again, I guess. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, Janeway proves to be a willing and fair judge in this trial. Um, maybe this was part of commanding a starship she's most suited for. Where um, uh, Granting an asylum request? <laughs> where you I have to do maybe. weird impromptu trials that we know Starfleet captains have to do from time to time. They do. I like <laughs> to think they have a nice book that they consult. Yeah. Uh, Tuvok admits he has no legal expertise. I thought Q2 sought him out because of that great dog witness scene. <laughs> Though I guess those skills were more investigative. He was still in the comet. He doesn't know about that yet. <laughs> uh, Tuvok is willing to be the advocate for uh, a cause he does not believe in. Um, or fine logical. Uh, that's the job, I guess. Um, all in all, I thought it was fine. I gave it a five. Oh, Wow. You're a little more bullish on this episode than I am. I gave points for Q character growth. Yeah. We'll have to see how this all totals up. It's looking like an interesting week, frankly. Yeah. With the exception of the communicator, which, uh, upon further review, got pretty low scores. Well, it sucked fucking ass. Uh, we got one more to go. Um, that's going to be a real treat, because the last one this week is from The Next Generation. Uh, we watched A Matter of Honor. <laughs> I will start off by saying this was the only episode of the week that I genuinely enjoyed. Yeah, it's got some real, it's got some hot fire scenes in it for sure. The Enterprise is at Starbase 179 picking up some new personnel, some of whom are just transfers, but one is a Benzite ensign named Mendon, mm -hmm. who Wesley mistakes for his old friend Mordok, who is on a, an exchange program from the Benzites, who apparently are have their own ships that are not in Starfleet. I don't know if they're not in the Federation. I guess men, I guess Mordok was he, the first one to go yeah, to the Academy. He was going to be the first one in Starfleet. So again, yeah. uh, what is the Federation? I don't know if Benzites are in it. Yeah. I guess maybe the Federation and Benzites are in some kind of space NATO together. Yes. Anyway, it's an exchange program. Picard calls Riker to the phaser range and suggests, I mean, I don't know if he suggests it so much, but I felt like he was suggesting it. Mm that Riker should serve a tour on another ship, the Klingon ship Pog, which is in the area. Okay. Uh, and he's into it, because no one's ever done it. He's super into it. He's into it. He's got a lot of smiles about it. Worf uh, briefs him on his upcoming tour, uh, including talking about a kind of dead man's boots advancement system that they practice, like the Mirror Universe does. Yes. Twice this week. Um, meanwhile, Mendon tours the bridge irritating people. Irritating people who we should say parenthetically are easily irritated. Yes. Because, <laughs> I mean, Riker hates him from the moment he sees him. Riker's not into it, yeah. for sure. No one's into it. Picard's not into him. No, no one is into this guy at all. Um, Riker eats about 12,000 calories worth of various Klingon foods in mm -hmm. front of Pulaski and Picard. And uh, then Worf gives him Chekhov's emergency transmitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the Pog appears, and they meet Captain Cargon, and he's a little salty. Yeah. 
uh, and Mendon scans the Klingon ship and sees some sort of crud on the hull, but he doesn't say anything to anybody. It could just be crud. It might just be some crud. He scans it. He's, thinking, he's thinking about it. Riker beams on over and the pog leaves. Um, Picard pawns Mendon off on Worf, who deliberately misunderstands what Mendon was trying to say to Picard in order to score a point against him, I think. There are points in this episode, and we'll talk about it, that I thought Worf might eat Mendon. <laughs> he acted like a total predator, and not in the sense of a sexual predator, in the sense of, like, animals. Yeah, no, like, he was frustrated by a door that didn't open correctly. <laughs> he, or he, was... saw, he saw another guy who kind of looked like Riker earlier, and he's mad about it. He was very, he was very much in Mendon's personal space. Out on the old pog, uh, Riker meets his second officer, Lieutenant Clagg. Mm-hmm. And he uh, comes face to face with Cargon, who tries to get some kind of dumb loyalty oath out of him. All right. Uh, Riker scores a couple of points by uh, punching Clag in his bread basket and wrecking <laughs> up the bridge. Right. Uh, back on uh, Enterprise, Worf uh, picks up some crud growing on the back of the ship, and Mendon recognizes it. He gets a little bit of a talking to about procedures. Hmm. But then uh, he and Data get to work on trying to figure it out. Yeah, they're they're mad at him that he didn't bring it up sooner. But he's like, hey, on my planet, we like to do a full analysis and then report on the yeah. results. Yeah. Uh, Riker goes to dinner with the Klingons and he gets dunked on by Clagg pretty good. Dude, these scenes are so good, though. They're these, so super good. This is really, really, this is the small touches, dude. Small touches. Uh, if the food is too too spicy or food's not to your liking maybe we'll get one of the females to breastfeed you everyone laughs at that including both of the women in the room everyone they does. love that fucking joke clag has got jokes and jokes and jokes um but don't worry about it Riker really gets him back uh when he accidentally uncovers that clag's father waits for his death <laughs> like really gets his own right away <laughs> yeah clag you can dish it out but you can't take it Oh, what's that? Oh, your food, your food's weird, and you're gonna get the ladies to breastfeed me, and oh, the ladies want to fuck me. Ha! <laughs> Tell me about How's your dad. dad? What's up with your dad? How's the <laughs> relationship with your dad? How's your honorable father? Uh, Mendon and Data discover that the the same gunk that's on them is probably doing even worse shit to the Klingon hull, mm. and uh, so they start looking for him. Um, and meanwhile, Cargon has for sure discovered this hole in the ship. And also that the Enterprise scanned the area, and he is all in on a, some kind of treachery idea. He goes full O'Brien on this one. Oh, yeah. He's power, he's power play, Karkon. Uh He declares his intention to destroy the Enterprise. Hmm. So that'll be fun for the Alliance. Yep. Again, it doesn't seem like anybody ever really considers those things. Uh, there's a scene here where Wesley consoles Mendon about his bad first impression, but who cares? Cargon hmm. sends Riker away to have a powwow with uh, so he can have a powwow with Clagg while Riker's in the engine room or whatever. But uh, as soon as they discover, and Clagg st- sticks up for his new buddy Riker, yeah. who uh, told him yesterday he did not know how to eat. Dude, they had s- so much camaraderie. Um, but then they discover that the Enterprise is on a, a fucking intercept course, and Cargon's doubts all disappear. He uh, orders Riker to give up secrets about the Enterprise, but Riker stands up to him and Cargon kind of backs down and announces that it was all a cool test. Yeah, I'm glad you said no to me because that means you're really cool and I like cool guys. 
meanwhile, Mendon has found a way to clean up the hull, and Picard has that information added to the message they're sending out to the Pog. Uh, but even that's not enough for Cargon. No. And when Data uh, points out that according to the rules, they got to put the shields up, and they do, which is kind of unlike Picard. Yeah. Cargon, uh, Cargon decides that now it's time to attack. Riker's going to call for the attack. Uh, but Riker very conspicuously pulls that transmitter that Worf gave him out of his boot. Because he did not want to hang on to it. He had a very so, specific plan. As so, so the moment Cargon <laughs> sees that, he wants to know what it is, and Riker gives it to him. They beam him off the damn ship and onto the bridge of the Enterprise. Riker announces that he's now the captain of the Pog. <laughs> his interpretation of that dead man's boots. And he bullies a sad Klingon into decloaking. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then he hails the Enterprise and orders them to surrender, which Picard happily does. Very and, happily. And uh, Cargon uh, goes back to his ship and gives Riker one good backhand before sending him home. Yeah. What is this gem of an episode about? Only the very obvious point that knowledge of other cultures only makes you more capable and enriched. Um, it's obvious that cultural exchange is the key aspect of this episode. It's in both plots. And um, also, at science camp in sixth grade, I got an award from one of our guides, Evan Eclipse, for my extensive <laughs> knowledge of alien cultures, and this episode could only have bolstered that knowledge. There you go. So it was a very Star Trek take, but also not a hot one. I gave it five points. Okay. Um, here's what I think this episode is about. Uh, the two characters that are part of the exchange program approach their jobs very differently. Mm. Riker is there to learn and okay. observe. Mendon is there to show off and teach Starfleet how it's done. Sure. <clears throat> you can accomplish more with an open-minded commitment to the principles of an endeavor than with a desire for praise or recognition. Okay. That does so incorporate is, both plots. Do your job in uh, in the spirit that it's intended to be done. Okay. I think it's a four-point take. I was going to say, that seems very um, specific. It's a little specific. Yeah. But it can apply to other types of jobs, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, ben has this as mutual understanding leads to mutual respect. Definitely a message they wanted to get across, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave it six. Okay. So he had the, uh, the, he had the highest take score. Yes. Let's anchor around to execution for a second. Okay. Uh, I found that this episode was unusually slow paced. Hmm. But that it also wasn't boring. No, it was not boring. Um, I also don't think that there's a real B plot. I think it's just a contrasting story between the two people who are part of the exchange program i think that's right yes i think the plot on the enterprise is the it's the same kind it's related yeah. so this lunchroom scene on the pog is great it's again small touches the, the difference in what everything that tng does in this scene versus everything that i don't know enterprise doesn't do you know those small touches that are missing the last thing that Riker says is a little trite though yeah like when he's he gives him that schoolyard after school special yesterday, I did not know how to eat gach. Yeah, but that's okay it's, because of the personal vindication that uh, the, the other Klingon feels when he eats. That's gach. right. <laughs> it lands for him, I guess. Yeah. Um, not only does Riker 
know when not to duck, but he also gets to serve as a foil for Picard's favorite move, surrendering ironically. Yes. Yep. Like, he knew he was giving that to him. Just like he knew that Cargon wasn't going to be able to command his ship unless he roughed him up a little bit for what he did. Yeah. Riker plays everything really perfect in this episode. He plays this one, and uh, this is the first thing I wrote in, in my uh, characterization, back to that good season one Riker here. Yeah, I have a lot of a lot of Riker gets his mojo back in this. Uh, I give this dang old episode eight points for execution. I, I can't blame you. I can't blame you. I, it was fun. It got its points across. Um, I actually gave it seven. Um, I have TNG is really fucking fun. Bottom line. Like, I don't know how much the Enterprise crew really learned about other cultures, or if they care about them at all. Maybe yeah. Wesley cares. Sure, Wesley is young and idealistic. Picard Picard believes in this program, he just doesn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, he's himself. like, you all need to go learn from this program, I'll be off doing my own thing. Um, and maybe Mendon and Riker are more enriched by it. But uh, we at home learned a lot about Benzites and Klingons, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. Also, there were breastfeeding jokes, and Riker's mojo is back. That's right. So I gave it seven whole points. <clears throat> and uh, Ben gave it seven also, and I think at this point it's appropriate to play this. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Good fun work in the chow hall. Obviously, I agree with that. Yep. Uh, Cargon decides to attack the Enterprise, but knows he's going to die in the attempt. But it does seem like he should report to the High Council to at least warn them. Yep. Well, the Klingons... Everyone's exercising a lot of personal authority. <laughs> and the Klingons really do that a lot. I mean, if you look at the uh, original series of movies, I don't think any of the Klingons that attack Kirk ever tell anyone they're going to do it. They don't appear to be part of any organized structure, for sure. They just kind of... I mean... Like that first guy who's blasting Voyager or whatever yeah. is just like... He's just having a good old day. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the time, dog. Starfleet captains are sort of the same way. Yeah, it's pretty pretty much what we've seen so far. Um, I can do a little bit of world building. Starbase 179. Uh, the phaser range that they get to go and have all their uh, cool, deep discussions on. Uh, officer exchange programs. A note from Marjan. What is an indoctrination program, and why is it happening on Enterprise? Boy, it's not a great way to phrase that, huh? <laughs> it's like you hear the announcement in the back or whatever that everyone has to, uh, all the new recruits have yeah, to. Definitely would have called that an orientation, huh? Yeah. That's what I would have called it. Indoctrination's a little scary. Uh, Klingon cruiser pa. Uh, assassination's the means of promotion on Klingon ships. What's that old harmonica do? That's <laughs> a good question. Um, on Mendon's face. Just, did you say Phibius Claw? Heart <laughs> of Phibius. Oh, sorry. Phibius Claw. Heart of Targ and Gach. Metal eating microorganisms. Uh, the Enterprise in this scene appears to transport Cargon through their shields. Uh, no. They specifically he, mention that the shields are up, but then they specifically transport him. He gives O'Brien control of the shields. Ah, okay. All right, I missed that. Well, that's oh, that's still world building. Cause... One of the things I wrote in world building, transporter room can control the shields. Yeah, all right, there you go then. Um, so I didn't forget about it. How Benzites do their business. Um, Klingon notions of family, duty, and honor. 
I actually think all the Klingon stuff is probably important, given that a main character is Klingon, and they're the most important aliens uh, in the Star Trek pantheon. Um, so all things considered, I give it a six. Okay. Uh, I'm a little less bullish on this, because I'm not sure that the Klingon work they're doing here is super important. Okay. Uh, in fact, hasn't hasn't Guinan already made the main point to Worf when he says Klingons don't laugh, and she says other Klingons laugh? I don't know. Has she done that yet? Shit, did that? That might be a uh, season three. I may be cheating a point out of here. That might I be guess. season three. I think that's yesterday's Enterprise, right? No. He's barely in yesterday's Enterprise. He's in the first scene and then not again. Yeah, with Guinan. They're having prune yeah, juice. I don't think they're talking about how Klingons don't laugh in that one. No, I thought that was that. Nah, it doesn't matter. Uh, the gig of the gamified phaser range, transporter and control of the shields, emergency transporters, 40,000 kilometer range on transporters, etc. Subatomic bacteria is really problematic for me. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They're subatomic? And they're also bacteria. And they're also bacteria. Yeah. Like, so there are living creatures that are somehow <laughs> that are somehow subatomic. Yes. Well, you know that's, that's the nature of exploration. You know, you think you know something about science, and then you you run into a new organism on your hull. Yeah. They have a consultant. That's all I'm saying. But as we've talked about, the consultant's job is to make sure the Star Trek stuff. The consultant's job is also to make up the Technobabble. Oh, well then he should have made it up better. I only gave it the standard three. Oh, wow. We have a big difference here. We're we're different here, for sure. Okay. Um, Ben gave it seven. Whoa. He thinks it's their first attempt at expanding up the Klingons as a main race. I thought we got nice Klingon work in... The Batras, Heart of Glory. We did get some. We got some for sure. Yeah. But we had to see them on Enterprise. This we got to see on a Klingon ship. It is better, and also I think this is probably the best presentation of Klingons we will ever get. They'll just be drink, drunk and headbutting each other the rest of the time we see Klingons, I think, from Yeah, here on they'll out. be like, hey, remember that cool um, chow room scene? Yeah, where Let's... everyone seemed like a normal fucking person. <laughs> everyone was kind of chill. Let's go with that, but like to the extreme... Yeah. Uh, Characterization. Would you? Uh, would you? Would you think of that? Uh, good old season one, Riker. Um, Picard is irrationally angry about minor protocol matters. Yes. Uh, Worf can be kind of shitty with his sarcasm. Yes. You can impress uh, me. Troy, Jordy, Guinan, all mysteriously absent. Yeah. Mendon does some work redeeming Wesley as the most irritating person on the show. Right. But he also is not a, a real person, so uh, I only give it four points for characterization. Okay, um, Riker's good, but he he's inconsistent is the trouble, and yeah. I don't understand why Picard is so like who cares about meeting Mendon. Yes, uh, Wesley is a fucking racist. Every Benzite just looks the same, huh? How do you well, tell from e- the same geostructure? Literally asks him, "How do you tell each other apart?" Yeah. It's just like, oh, God, just digging yourself deeper. He knew so much about Dactarians or whatever yeah. when the guy had the webbed thumb, but now he's but he's just spouting his horse shit. Yeah. I forgave him, though, because he was so nice to Mendon later on. It was nice. They reminded him of his buddy Mordok. 
in a lot of ways. Uh, Riker hates... Yes, by the way, same actor, same makeup. Everybody understands that, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Riker hates this Benzite more than O'Brien hates Bashir. Yeah, like it's as bizarre. As soon as he meets him, he's exasperated that this guy is here. Um, but Riker is only too happy to serve on a Klingon vessel because nobody's ever done it before. This is the most confident we've seen Riker in quite some time. What got him his mojo back? He's got that Mark Knopfler confidence this week. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Here's a Riker theory, dude. All right. Well, first of all, Troy's not in this episode. Maybe she's just sleeping it off. Uh, <laughs> we do know that she can't ever really forget him. Yeah. As we find out in two Rikers. Or too many Rikers. Too many Rikers. Also, don't forget they do get married in Nemesis. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether that movie's canon. So, this episode flips his alien fucking switch. Vecma and that Klingon lady who just stares at him. They flick. They flip his switch. From this episode on, he only wants to do aliens. Uh, it is. I, I uh, so I did ask whether Riker is really super bummed out that his tour got cut short. Because <laughs> I think he was going to. And get he didn't somewhere. get into Vecma, or I don't think the other one even has a name. Nope, just the staring one, the one who won't stop staring at him. <laughs> so you're giving him sex eyes. Oh yeah, for sure. No, he, again, he asks if they're joking, and Clag goes, "No." Nah. Eh, they're gonna fuck you for sure. Yeah. Um, Riker uh, gives Cargon back his power by letting him hit him in the face. Um, yes. Is Riker the first Starfleet captain of a Klingon ship, or are we calling Kirk the first? Because of the time he beamed himself onto that Klingon ship, it took it. It's a it's a good question. They do rename the ship, which suggests to me... That they've just claimed it for Starfleet. That they've just claimed it. <laughs> there is a difference As there. a war prize. Well, good for Riker, then. He's the first Starfleet captain of a Klingon ship. Um, they did seem to acknowledge it. I think it would make sense to be in his tour. Like, his, his was, record. Was briefly held the rank of captain aboard the... Uh, what are they? IKS, Pa? Yeah. Um, captain Picard is also a racist. That's a Penzite trait. Dismissive laugh. Yep. Uh, Pulaski is racist, but we already knew that. Well, yeah, that's not the least bit surprising. She cannot even hide her disdain for the Klingon foods and all that stuff. She's very inappropriate. Yeah, Picard's much cooler. He doesn't want to eat that food. No. But he's much cooler about it. Well, he's so fascinated by Mojo Riker. Yeah. Picard's favorite he person likes, on the planet is Mojo Riker. He to see Riker back in action. Yeah, he. I think that's why he sent him on this mission, dude. He's like, this is he, Riker's going to be uh, so pumped. Help Riker get his groove back? Yeah, exactly. Because he loves every fucking second of Mojo Riker. Uh, Animal Wharf is astute enough to put that tracker on Riker. Um... But he's totally guessing about what it's like on a Klingon ship, right? Like he read it in a book? Because wasn't yeah. he really young when he was orphaned? Yes. This is this is an area that is not well explored with Worf. Yeah. Which is whatever Worf says about the Klingons is true. Yes. It's like Later did, on. Yeah. But it should be stuff that's mostly wrong, right? It should be stuff that is known within the Federation about Klingons. So yeah. it's written about by some Federation ethnographer. And it probably is right on big picture details and wrong in most things. Yeah. 
So his big debrief to Riker before he leaves is like, Riker should be like, oh, thanks, thanks for the info, and then just under his breath be like, what the fuck does this guy know? But I mean, they're allies. Is he like, do we just never see him in his quarters watching Klingon rooftop room cat? <laughs> That's and, right. He's and like sort of trying to get a picture of it. He's he's uh, digesting as much of their culture as he can. Right. Um. Again, I think Worf might eat Mendon if Mendon's tour keeps going uh, on the Enterprise. It's a risk. It's a risk that he's running. O'Brien makes a jolly appearance in the transporter room. Um, I enjoyed everyone so much, but also intolerance. There's a lot of it in this episode. I could only give it a five. I think that's on the road to being fair. Um, this is TNG, so I know you got quick hitters for me. Yeah, let's see. <clears throat> Data got to sit in the big chair, and Wesley gets to go to the transporter room. This is an episode of Adventures. <laughs> Uh, I noticed that Pulaski is a special appearance by in the credits. I never knew that. <laughs> I always assumed she was a regular cast member. Yeah, it's weird, right? Diana Moldar is a special appearance by. Uh, Picard will later turn out to be a Klingon expert, but in this one, he's like, we know so little about them. I have no place to put that note. I can't blame this episode for that. I mean, like, later on, Picard is, like, the Klingon expert, right? I have to like assume more than Worf. that there's a bunch of scenes that we don't see where he's doing the research. In between this and, and uh, like, season three. Yeah, basically, right? Well, maybe Riker had so many good stories when he came back that it just ignited something in him. Uh, this, uh, this Klingon Captain Cargon will soon play a pack-led captain. And you can see why, because he looks dumb as shit. He plays... He, first of all... It's bad casting, because yes. Clagg is quite good in yeah. this episode. And the other guy at the lunch table, Dukoff, Whatever also very good. Yeah. His name's never said, um, but that's his name on the Star Trek card. Star Trek card, exactly correct. Yeah. He's really good, uh, and he's the one who looks so personally satisfied and vindicated when Riker starts chowing down on the live guy. He almost yeah. does a fist pump. <laughs> um, also, Cargon is the shortest of the captains. Yeah. And, yeah, so anyway, real missed opportunity to do better. He's the worst of the Klingons that we see. But I think they went, man, this guy. Even, even Vekma, he's not very attractive. But, but I, I will have him. him. It's so good. It is, it is good. Yeah, I want to get to know Vekma. The reason why that scene does isn't so terrible, even though it has some sophomoric shit, is because you're supposed to be like, oh, this is the idiot banter of, of a bunch of yes. idiots. And then also, Vekma can also dish it out. Yeah, exactly. Vekma dishes it right back out. He's not very attractive. But I'll have him. <laughs> you're like, oh man, Riker doesn't even get a choice in this. Um... But yeah, you're right. Uh, Cargon, maybe not a great Klingon, but I think they saw this guy plays Big Dumb Oaf so good. Let's put him in yeah. Packlet makeup. We got we got ten more roles for Big Dumb Oafs written this season. Hey, so. did, was peak performance in that run you mentioned earlier, or is that even later? Because I know it's season peak, two. Peak performance is, uh, is the like the second to last episode in season God, two, I think. Dude. I guess season two isn't as bad as we thought if it finishes with that run. Uh, well, again, this is... I, like, I hate to say this because it seems so crazy, but uh, season one and season two are my favorite Star Trek. <laughs> I know that season three and four have better episodes. Hold on a second. I, season two, I understand though? that. I like the tone of season one and season two better. 
I mean, I've been surprised my last few watches how much I did enjoy season one, but season two is still seemed very rough Look, to me. It's got some rough stuff in it, for yeah. sure. It's got up the long again, ladder, man. Again, yeah, but... <laughs> you like that one? But I love Wrecker shamelessly hitting on that woman in front, of, right in front of Picard. I guess he still has his mojo back in that one. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I thought I had. Oh, boy. That's just so tough. Do you not like girls? Um... You know, I don't think the Enterprise crew really gets what this exchange program's all about. No. Why isn't Mendon just like us from the moment we meet him? Yes. They all hate him very much for being different. Why am I? So, why are we so mad about these two minor protocol infractions? <laughs> uh, like, how dare you try to tell me your ideas right away or like even greet me? Yeah, you asshole. But they they pawn him off on Wesley. Why? I know. Wesley's not a commissioned officer. It's like, okay, Mendon is a douche. But he's a douche because he comes from a different society where they value different things. That's right. You just, like, why can't they realize this? It's like being on an airplane with a German. <laughs> That's correct. It's just like that. Clagg uh, seemed really cool in the corridor when he met Riker, but then he, like, totally threw him under the bus in front of Captain Lump in the next scene. Did you, did you see that? He's he talks about uh, how he doesn't trust Riker. Like, yeah, that is true. It's like, hey, well, you, you seemed cool out there when you when you first met. Before Riker, obviously, uh, as you said, beats him about the head and face, and slams him through a panel. Yeah, no, he he makes sparks fly out. If you don't make sparks fly out in a Star Trek episode, you aren't getting any work done. That's right. Don't yell at Mendon. He's new. He's been here ten minutes. They keep yelling at him. They really do. Also, they put him to work right away. Does he even have quarters? Well, I think they put him to work and he didn't get to make the indoctrination session. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have known about the uh, Also, not clear at all that the guy working the science station back there, that his next step in the chain of command is Worf. I know. Well, I think Picard sees that Worf is bullying him and then goes, check this out. Uh, You're going to report to Worf. And then just walks away. <laughs> and Mendon says to him, I hope to impress on you something, something, something. Worf comes over, you can impress me. Yep. And it's like, Worf, that's not what he said. Worf, he didn't even say that, buddy. Are you pretending not to understand? I think he is. Score a point. Yeah. Um, let's see. Clag uh, has got jokes for days. Um, we will learn very shortly that Riker hates his father so very much and doesn't want yeah, to see him. that's the big problem with this episode. I, that just hadn't been written yet. Again, I can't blame this episode, so where do I put this complaint? Yeah, Frakes is... Because Frakes delivers... He's your father. Yeah. Like, everyone loves their father if, no matter what. As if everybody loves their daddy. Yep. And then very shortly... Then in ten episodes, it's going to be... I haven't talked to him in 15 years. He's the worst. What? And I don't want to see him. Don't have him come to my quarters. I hate him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I like that non-Clag Klingon Dukoff even more. Dukoff, yeah. Again, he's so satisfied when Riker eats that guy. Um, that Klingon music that they play in the background the whole time is definitely what that's, I jam to. That's super great. Super great music. <laughs> that Captain uh, Cargon is so impressed by the idea of firing photons and phasers simultaneously. Yes. Like it's that, a special tactic. Dog, that is his 
uh, evasive maneuver Riker Alpha. <laughs> He's like, we'll fire photons and phasers simultaneously. You're like, uh, I mean, you should probably try to do that. That seems like standard procedure, right? If you're trying to shoot at someone. Um, one of the few times Worf actually hits somebody with a phaser blast is in this episode. Yep. He lays Cargon the fuck out, and he is drawn his phaser as soon as Cargon starts to turn around. Yep. He, he knows what is happening here. We will see, I think from here on, we see a string of 400 straight shots that Worf misses. Yeah, probably. Uh, Worf's never incapacitated someone on the bridge before, and he never will again. And he will... Later, Picard will knock someone out real good. Yep, yeah, but then get kidnapped immediately. But he will get kidnapped right away. <laughs> and we see Worf get thrown around the bridge and shot many times. Even by yeah, Ferengis. That's his purpose, is to show how tough somebody is, because they can beat up Worf. Remember when he shoots and misses the Ferengi, and the Ferengi shoots him? <laughs> you just go, come on, Worf. Yep. You let three Ferengi take over the whole ship! Anyway. Uh, and then uh, Riker gives a real good, thank you, Captain Picard. Emphasis on the on the E. Yep. He sure does. Uh, vowel there. So that's what yeah, I Yeah, they're enjoying the little play they're putting on. Oh, by the way, doesn't Picard also surrender to Riker in front of the Ferengi in peak performance? Of course. Don't don't forget that he uh, lowers the shields in Okana in case he wants to surrender. <laughs> that's right. It's it's his favorite thing, but if he can if he can surrender to Riker, it's even better. He loves an ironic surrender. Yeah. You got some quickies? Uh, the only reason that Wesley is coordinating the exchange program is so he can mistake Mendon for Mordok. That makes sense. Because again, uh, Klingon otherwise f- I couldn't figure out why he was invited down there. Kl- Klingon food looked like popcorn shrimp and stuffed jalapenos. <laughs> it's a real, basically an app sampler. And like a lobster claw of some kind. Mendon has immediately picked up that people just sound off on the bridge whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Also, he gets to wear a turtleneck for some reason, but it kind of um, foreshadows the the later uniform. high collar that's coming soon. Yeah, it must have something to do. He gets to wear his um, harmonica, I think too. That, so. I think that the makeup they made for Mordok did not go all the way down to the neck, and they weren't doing extra stuff this time. All right. So, uh, I mean, Riker seems to know some Federation karate, but his cardio must have been pretty neglected because he is sweating like Orson Welles after his little tussle with Clagg. I couldn't tell whether... I think there was a stunt double for Frakes, right? During the fight scene with Clagg? Uh, maybe, but if so, they sure sprayed him down with glitter. I was going to say, because then I noticed the same It was thing. one of the better stunt doubles, if true, cause, if so, because I always notice and I didn't say anything And that's it. why I asked, too, because I looked specifically as um, the sparks were flying all over Clagg's head. You could see Riker, and I was like, boy, is that a stunt double? I can't really... He's doing tell. so little that there's no reason it would have to be a stunt double, but usually they would still do it. And then, because I noticed the same thing, how sweaty he was, and I was like, wait, was, was he even doing those stunts? How did he get so sweaty? <laughs> Is do you think all Benzite policy is based around the principle of not wasting the captain's time? Maybe uh, they just have some real assholes running the ships. I think and it they could be right. Are tired of getting fucking chewed out. Um, is a real question for you again? Is Clegg an intellectual child? He seems a little simple. He talks, and I don't know what the actor who plays him looks like in real life. But he seemed cro magnet for sure. <laughs> Just in general, the character seemed that way. Um, when Marjan did ask while we were watching, what happened to all the erudite Shakespeare Klingons? 
Where did they go? Well, they were like the fucking chancellor of the empire. My theory about Cargon and this assignment is that this is definitely the B team. Oh yeah, yeah. These this this ship is not the flagship. This, this is, is not one of the better ships, and not one of the better postings in the Klingon fleet. These are just some old boys who happen to be in the area. They are. Yeah, not they were the... in the area, and the Klingons were like, "Yeah, they're never doing anything classified or important." So go go. For let's it. Riker can do on that one. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um. At some point, one of them says a Klingon's life is his work, not his family. I think it's crazy that the Klingons think of this military service as work. Like, yeah. the, all, everything else we see about the Klingons is glory and honor. And right. this dude's like, a Klingon's life is his work, not his family. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I would hella watch a show about Clag and the other Klingon guy who knows all about Clag's personal shit. Clag and Dukoth just chilling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, again, I I forever... I throw Vecme in there, too. Like, I want this workplace show about the Pog. I forever ask for random uh, spinoffs, including the one with the Cardassian from the DS9 finale who says, That was for Lakarian City. <laughs> you want to know all about Lakarian City? I want to follow his life. In Lakarian <laughs> City, before and after its destruction, before and after that DS9 episode, I want all of his story, and I want it told in eight seasons. I want four ten-episode seasons about <laughs> Admiral Jerok yeah. and his military career. Please, can we learn a little bit about the campaigns? Which one? What campaigns? The Nor... Nor... What are they called? Nor... Norkin... Nor- yeah, something like that. I want no, to know that's about the those. colony where Riker... Where, uh... Scotty's going to retire, right? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Well, anyway, I know what you I know what you mean. I yeah. do want to know all about Jarok. Let's let's learn about him. Let's learn about some of these characters that we have some genuine interest in because you so often saddle us with shitty characters we don't care about. Yeah, I don't need to see Reba's 50 other negotiations. Yeah, dude, the Norkin campaign. The Norkin campaign. That's what he huh. calls it, you know. So what's the colony that they're sending Scotty to retire on? All right, hold on. This is going to be a tougher one cuz he's got a long art. Oh, I'll just look up relics. I mean, just look at relics. Don't <laughs> And don't go to Memory Beta and read all about how he became the chief head nope, of Starfleet Engineering after Relics. I would never go to Memory Beta. Uh, yeah, I remember the Janolin. That's the ship he's on. Yeah. He's going to the something quality. Yeah, I haven't found it yet. Uh, this is all about the plot of the episode. It's not telling me where he was Click headed. on Janolin. All right. All right, we'll go. Norpin. Norpin, okay. So that's why Norkin and Norpin. So that's it's very similar. That's Matt, I gave uh, best actor to Dukoth, the other Klingon, and worst <laughs> actor to Wesley Crusher. I did, I'm fine with that. Uh, ben, quick hitters. When Cargon tries to shoot Picard, do you think Data knows to lurch out of Worf's way, or is he moving in front of Picard to protect him? Oh, good question. I had not examined that part of it. He doesn't know if it's a plot hole or a nice touch. Hmm. That's often the question. It depends on how much credit you want to give them. Uh, Ben this week gave 25 points to Matter of Honor, 22 to Death Wish, 21 to Whispers. Three over 20? 14 to Mirror Mirror and 7 to the the Communicator. And I will be damned if that doesn't match. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't match the order we gave uh, to. Um, So coming in this week, number five. Number five. The Communicator. 22 points, which is quite poor. That's not a surprise. It's bottom 25%. Um, it was bottom 10% for me, and bottom 10% for world building. We ended up and somewhat distant four points off. It's because I gave slightly more points across the board. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you didn't. Uh, you didn't really think this was great. Its no. best score was a five for premise for you. Yeah. Uh, at number four this week is Deep Space Nine. Uh, Whispers gets thirty-one points, which is mediocre. Average. Yeah. It's but it's that's basically average. The average is uh, thirty-one point six two. Right. So that's essentially a fifty fifty. Um, it did get a top ten percent score for execution, though. We were both impressed by certain things that it did. That's right. And that's enough, by the way. Two sixes is enough to be in the top 10% of episodes for us. Well, not a lot of them execute. <laughs> that's, it's, it's very a, it's fair. A primary problem with the show. Uh, third place this week, middle of the pack, uh, Death Wish, Voyager. That's surprising uh, as well. 35 points is a few above average. Um, this week on the whole is a, a little bit above average, which is why it's only good for third. Uh, 12 for premise, though. Uh, yeah. which is also top uh, 10%. And uh, second place this week with an episode that is uh, mostly good to pretty good was Mirror Mirror, an episode we both did not yeah, like. Yeah, but I really thought that was a garbage episode, but there you go. 39 points. Yeah. 39 points. Didn't top 10 in anything, but it was top 25% episode for both of us yeah. and top 25 in execution and characterization. So. I think if you're top 25 in two categories, then you, you end up doing pretty well. That's going to be a pretty good week. The winner this week, uh, the 11th win for the next generation Coming is a back. matter of honor. Coming back now. They're only uh, four behind the original series. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we said, there's some good episodes coming up. After some bad ones. We and some bad episodes bad first, ones. though. So the original series could pull ahead again. Yeah. Uh, a Matter of Honor was a top 10% episode for you, mm. and a top 25 for me, and top 10 in execution. Yeah. So, uh, 42 points is uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's um, 8 points above Next Generation's average, so. You generally had this week as just a, kind of an above average week. I had it as a good week. Yeah, that's right. I had it at uh, an average of uh, 15.8, which is just over the border. My mean is 15.4. Yeah. So this is a was a, a little bit above average, but you have to factor in that the communicator was dragging it down pretty far. Yeah, uh, and you had it as a top twenty five percent episode uh, with an average of eighteen this week. So uh, week wise, uh, not a good week for world building. Bottom ten percent with an average of six. Yep, and uh, top ten percent for execution with an average of ten point four. Well, there you go. Pretty exciting stuff. Uh, two weeks from now, when we do week 34, we will be discussing the apple. Don't remember that one. Uh, it's a Garden of Eden metaphor, so I probably they get involved with some primitive society. We're doing the measure of a man. Are you sure that it's not just about an apple someone loses? Oh, it could be about an apple that someone loses if it's uh, if it's actually an Enterprise episode for sure. <laughs> Oh, dude, the measure of a man's name. The measure of a man oh, is man. Data's rights and status as a person, essentially. We're on getting trial. into it, dude. It's going to be good. Deep Space Nine, we're doing Paradise. I actually do remember this one based on a thumbnail. Uh, and Voyager, we're doing Life Signs. Not sure I recognize that one. And for Enterprise, Singularity. I'm guessing it's about a singularity. Yeah, probably about a singularity. Maybe they encounter one. They seem to be pretty literal with their episode titles. 
meanwhile, next week is a mailbag week, but we'll also be doing the round of 16 in our Led Zeppelin tournament. Woo! Actually, and, and Marjan did send me her bracket, so. All right. I'm not going to read the 16 <laughs> competitors because that's too long, but the bracket is available. You can uh, find links to both Landrew and the Led Zeppelin tournament. Uh, on brotherdate.com. Yep, and uh, please fill up our mailbag um, by tweeting at brotherdate and um, uh, subscribe. Uh, subscribe! No, that, that was half Watto and half <laughs> I, went, uh, I went for both. Nemoidian. <laughs> um, on the, do it on the iTunes if you want and leave us all the reviews, all the good reviews. And um, hey, tell a friend, but not anyone I know. Don't tell anyone I know. Yeah, don't tell this. anyone I know. Tell don't tell anyone that I know or that Judah knows. But then tell someone else to to listen. Straight. That's right. Everyone tell uh, so someone who is a stranger yeah. to us. Actually, you know what? Tell strangers to you too. Tell, don't tell someone you know. Tell someone. That's right. Who's tell a someone randomly. You. Don't oversell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tell them there is a podcast called Brother Date. It's not about incest. Yes. They do talk about incest occasionally, but only because that's but only in the context theme. of popular culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that way our viewership will grow, but only with the people that I don't know, which is what I'm looking for. Uh, anything else? Do we cover it? I think that's it. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye! I, I wasn't going to tell anyone. Oh, uh, you are the I captain, didn't, after all. I didn't want to... But, uh, I mean, you are the, the captain. If you hadn't hurt that guy, I wouldn't have told anyone. <laughs> Subscribe.